0: In 1996, the unthinkable happened to John and Patsy Ramsey. Their daughter was brutally murdered. A swarm of police, a media frenzy, and conflicting stories. At the end of the day, they found themselves under the umbrella of suspicion. With evidence and resources, they thought the police would find the killer. But 22 years later, no one knows for certain who was responsible. Today's episode is the death of Jean-Benet Ramsey, Part Two. The special in-studio guest. Yes, we do. She's She's back and she's beautiful. Stapled up the middle. If you guys follow us online, my little chihuahua had to have... She's just
1: staring at me right now. Hi, Goose.
0: I had to have a splenic mass removed. She had massive dog surgery with blood transfusions. It was very dramatic. We were very upset. (laughs) She's quite a trooper. She's all back. She
1: looks amazing. She's going to have a sweet scar to tell all her doggo friends about. She looks like she got shanked. (laughs) So well, I'm glad you're feeling better Goose and we are recording for the very first time in our
0: brand new studio space in Heather's brand new house. My new studio. I moved. I closed on a house the same day my dog had massive surgery. <laughs> you and you also did a your storytelling showcase. That's true. I'm telling you, I did three Heather shows is
1: the most dedicated person I've ever met. Nothing will prevent her from doing what she's said she's going to do. If it's I say very I'm admirable.
0: I was going to say if I say I'm going to do a thing, I do a thing. Absolutely. So that day at 9:30 thing. I closed on my house. They did the dog surgery at like 4 or something and then I had three shows in a row. I had a 7:30, a 9 and a 9:30. Wow.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's you quite a day. You most people would have bailed, understandably bailed, but nope. Heather does not bail.
0: I'm not. I'm not a baler. She's not a baler. I'm. I'm frequently interact with balers. I'm surrounded by bailers. I <laughs> well, myself
1: are. Yes, in our industry, balers are a plenty.
0: Comedians are balers. <laughs> very much so. I'm a. i am They should all be working on a farm because they're all a bunch of bailers. <laughs> <laughs> to quote the very fa- my very famous slash favorite lady comedian, Hannah Harvey Vaughn, she said the bad thing about being in a relationship was with a comedian is the only thing they can commit to is the bit. So,
1: very good. Yes, very Also good, the host Hannah. of Baby Beings podcast. Awesome. Very good, Hannah. Well, Merry Christmas Eve to you and yours. Heather, you said Christmas Eve is more important to your family than Christmas Day.
0: Correct. We would go to my Aunt Barry's house on Christmas Eve. Now we go to my cousin Amy's house, but it was all about... See hanging out with my grandma, hanging out with my aunts and uncles, and we had a really good time and then on Christmas Day, we'd wake up and do Santa presents and hang out just with my parents and me and my sister. It was like more nuclear family yes. stuff.
1: did you do a big Christmas lunch or dinner on Christmas
0: Eve? we would oh,
1: so Christmas Day was just kind of chill just our just our
0: immediate family
1: see worse well, one, I don't have a very big family, Tommy does though, so now we of course have two families, but growing up, Christmas Eve. Was the exciting, let's get, getting ready for the big day, which is the next day, which is Christmas Day. So all of our stuff happened on Christmas Day.
0: All right. So it's the opposite.
1: And you know what else happened on Christmas Day? Oh my goodness. In 1996.
0: Or was it really the 26th? Well, and that's... No one knows. In the Dr. Phil interview with John Ramsey... Oh Christ. (laughs) I've, uh, you guys, you're welcome, by the way. I've watched... Several hours of Dr. Phil interviews. You'll never get that time back. Nancy Grace interviews. Oh, she's arguably worse than Dr. Phil. And Dr. Oz interviews.
1: He's, oh man. He's not a, as bad as Nancy Grace. What a trifecta of shitheads. Yeah. But I would say Dr. Oz is the least of the shitheads. Yes, Then Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil,
0: then Nancy Grace Grace. is the queen of all shit. She's horrible. She is the
1: worst. Horrible. Horrible woman. She's
0: irritating. The thing she says, she speaks with authority, but then if you listen to the words, she says the dumbest thing. Oh, she is a a dipshit beyond compare. Yeah. She's a dipshit with a piece of paper that says, I'm a lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. But she can't even, she doesn't even practice, does she? No, no, no. No. She once was a lawyer. She used to be a lawyer and has since... Burned out all of her, mental, her brain cells. Same with Dr. Phil. He got his license to practice revoked because of, I believe, a sexual harassment claim. Oh, no. Because he went to my alma mater. He's like, I don't think there's anything wrong with offering mustache rods. <laughs> I was trying to be a gentleman. We, we do have to back up, though. My mother loves Dr. Phil. I know. I know. She Nancy's going to be very hurt she by this episode. Yeah. She's (laughs) gonna feel personally attacked. He went so
1: I Dr. Phil and I have one thing in common. We Mm. both have a bachelor's in psychology from the University
0: (laughs) of North Texas. Why don't where's Doctor Christie, the TV show? Would watch tonight. Thank you. I would love one. Uh, I would totally watch a show with people having problems and you'd be like, You need to just get over (laughs) it. Did you ever see that bit I did at Pipeline? Was it Dear when you're drunk Christy? Where you're just drinking Miller Lights and yelling advice at you? Yeah, yeah. God. <laughs> they wrote in, they, so
1: Pipeline is a show at Dallas Comedy House, hosted by the very funny Danny Neely, where you can submit bits that are just silly. And mine was, so it's kind of a running bit with all my friends that when I get drunk, I have this character. It's really just me, but it's Drunk Christie. I
0: remember, which it must've been after a cult show and I was like on Bumble and you were like giving advice on the guys oh, on Bumble. yeah, I'm sure it was. On, why, on who I should and should not swipe on. <laughs> I'm sure it was
1: very good advice too. So people would submit, I had them email, Dear Drunk Christy. And ask love advice. And then at the show, I was drunk and drinking during the show. And I would read their letters and then give them advice, advice. live.
0: God, I want to see was, that. It was pretty good. Missed it. Yeah. Would... Well, it'll it'll
1: happen again. It's harder to do now with the kid, but I'll figure it out. We'll
0: make it happen. Yeah. Well, the thing I was watching on the Dr. Phil interview was John Ramsey was saying that he put December 25th on her tombstone mm-hmm. because he's like, the letter said... Tomorrow at ten a.m. I'll call you. So I assume that he took her the night before and then killed her. And he's like, I never, ever want anyone to forget my baby was killed on Christmas. And he also said that the song "Silent Night" was about JonBenet. It was uh, wait. About- I'm sorry. What? I he- believe that song came out many years before JonBenet was murdered. About- <laughs> I thought it was about Jesus. I'm pretty sure it was. tends. I've also, you guys are welcome. Again, taking one for the team. I read The Other Side of Darkness. By, or I think it's The Other Side of Suffering, maybe, by John Ramsey. It's his. Oh, yes, The Other Side of Suffering. Very self serving book that he wrote. Mm-hmm. And he starts out and he's like, I'm in India in the back of the. He, first of all, he didn't write it. Like, it says, it's John Ramsey with Mary Chapian. Cha- Cha- Mary chapion wrote this. John yeah. Ramsey read it. Cause there's a couple of words that he mispronounces. And I'm like, if you knew. Oh, he does the audiobook? Yeah, he reads the audiobook, which is fine uh i listened to it on two and a half speed (laughs) no 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 no. very fast two times speed well he talks really slow regularly but he said macabre instead of macabre Mm -hmm. and i was like you didn't write that word (laughs) no you would know what that word was also who's recording this book have him pause and re-record thank you he also said gary instead of a grot well i mean bless his heart but anyhow very self-serving and i think uh, a little melodramatic for people's taste again who's to say how you would act if you had not one only not only one kid pass away but two because he did yeah, have the dog, you know and he, he talks about how his emotional and his spiritual life were uh, affected by all of the tragedies that befell him and his friends and family like when his friend and his friend's uncle crashed their private plane into a lake and oh. sunk and drowned wow that's a very privileged way to die There's <laughs> a lot of stories <laughs> like that That were, he's like, I just I was in a skiing incident And it's just yeah. like, come on, man right. like, okay. Take it out not- there's, there's a lot of rich people stuff <laughs> yeah. going on here Yeah
1: Well I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And today we are talking about the death of JonBenet Ramsey part two.
0: In the first part we talked about the timeline, what happened the day of the police investigation, and the key pieces of evidence as they were found that day right before they found the body. So this was the ransom note, the 911 call, etc. This episode we're going to cover the evidence that was discovered, forensic evidence that was on her body, and then the Possible list of suspects, as well as the way that the police and the DA's office sort of, I would say, acted um, not together, but no, very but, much apart. Exactly, I say in complete uh, contrast to one it's another. It's like a husband and wife that cannot stand each other, but they are fo- forced to co-parent. Yes, and they are both. It's just like, well, you can't have carrots. All you can eat are carrots. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah. uh, so the investigation was maybe a little sidetracked by a dick swinging contest. Mm, yes, yes. So let's get into this. We ended part one when
1: John Ramsey and Fleet White discovered Binet's body on the basement floor in Correct. their home. When John Ramsey opened the door to the basement, he and his friend, Fleet White, discovered JonBenet's lifeless body lying under a white blanket on the cold, hard floor. She was wearing a white, long-sleeved pajama top with a silver sequined star on the front. She had on matching white thermal pants and flowered underwear that were soaked in urine. She wore a small gold ring on one of her fingers, a cross necklace, and had a heart drawn in red ink on one of her palms. Her wrists were tied over her shirt with a white nylon cord. A garrote, also made out of white cord, and what was later found to be the broken handle of a paintbrush, was wound tightly around her neck. Her mouth was bound with duct tape,
0: which John Ramsey ripped off before carrying her upstairs. So in John's version of events in the book, he says that he came around the corner and he said in the basement? Yes, in the basement with Fleet White behind him, and he whipped up in the door and was like, Oh my god, oh my god, my baby, jump in a jump in wake up, wake up and he said he was like shaking her to wake her up. And I guess I mean, think about it, I'm in his defense at the time he was A, assuming she was kidnapped and just hidden somewhere mm-hmm. and b he was just in a total state of shock and so you see her in a blanket i think anybody parents initial reaction
1: would be to try and to grab her yeah. yeah
0: and so he yanks the the tape off and he said he was tapping her on her cheek and he was like trying to like shake her like she was you know asleep mm-hmm. and he grabbed her over and so there's this is conflicting accounts because steve Which thomas is the story of the ramsey case the entire case there's like two to five different versions oh, yeah. of it. So according to Steve Thomas and Larry Schiller uh in their two books that they Steve Thomas described John Ramsey as ha- like carrying her under his arm like a bundle of sticks. Or, like, a like a suitcase or a duffel bag. Mm. But other people had said, and John says, he put her over his shoulder. But since her little arms were stiff, Aww. they were, like, up over her sho- over his shoulder. Yeah. And he was carrying her like he would carry her to bed. Yeah. And he carried her upstairs to try, because that's where the cops were, and try to get help. And was like, help me, help me, wake her up, wake yeah. her up. And, of course, then the cops were like, yeah, she's yeah. got blue lips, her skin's really cold. And he's like, that's yeah. when we realized, yeah. you know, she was gone. But I think that the, there's... Then you hear from the forensic experts on the docu series, uh, the case of John yes. Ramsey, that say, "Well, when someone hides a body and they're trying to prove that they didn't do it, they frequently quote unquote discover it." Yeah. So again, it's three versions of the same situation that happened. A lot of this something versions. happened. Something happened. But how? I
1: mean, we all the the one thing we do know happened is she was
0: brutally murdered, yeah.
1: and I I is again. You're not thinking about contaminating the crime scene when you find your child's body. I would have ripped that duct tape right off too. Yeah. Carried her upstairs. I have to say I would have done all that. He should not have been given the opportunity to find her body. True. It should have been. A pol- exactly. The a polician- policeman should have been with him in the fleet. The whole time. And I don't know why they weren't. Because Detective Arnt says the reason she told them to go search the house was to give them busy work. But also to see his behavior They're because it was, they were already suspicious of them. So why is a detective not with them when this is going on? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that, that right there, I mean, the detective
0: would have prevented him from moving her and contain the crime scene. And when it's the B team, because it's the day after yeah. Christmas, but also just secure the crime scene. So even if he pulls her from, and that's what Steve Thomas mentions in his book, that even if. The, he pulls her out of the basement and puts her on the living room floor. Everybody, stop! Yeah, don't touch anything else. Well, then after that, Patsy touched her. John touched her again. Yeah. Detective aren't touched her. A family member. T- I mean, it it just got more and more and more and more and more contaminated. Also, a forensic expert on the Dr. Oz show talked about the urine, and he says that he believes that that was just due to the like when you pass away, yeah. you just your blood, blood are just empties. So yeah. Well,
1: let's get into the autopsy. So the autopsy performed by Dr. John E. Meyer described her injuries in more detail and provided a small but crucial new detail. jean Bonnet had abrasions on the side of her face between her ear and jaw, tiny broken blood vessels in her eyes, a skull fracture that had caused subdural hemorrhage, which is bleeding in the brain, and bruises on her brain. While her underwear was soaked in urine, her bladder was completely empty. Indicating that at some point in the night she had wet the bed, or possibly it just emptied because she had passed mm-hmm. she also had several sets of small, dark circles on her skin. Some experts believed these were caused by a stun gun that the perpetrator used to subdue her in her bed
0: in order to carry her down to the basement this is this whole stun gun thing mm-hmm. before we get into it mm-hmm. is one of the this is another thing that there's an answer scientifically there's an answer yeah of what is a body. ...look like if it's been stun-gunned. Yeah. And yet, you have two scientists, one will say it absolutely looks like that, and the other one says it doesn't look anything yeah. like that. It's it's crazy.
1: So Lou Smith, a famed private investigator hired by the Ramses, was adamant that the marks on Jean-Benet's body were made by a stun-gun and even went so far as to pinpoint the model the murderer had used. In pictures, when the stun-gun is placed against her body... It does appear that the marks line up with the points from which the current would shoot. However, no type of weapon was ever found at the crime scene, and the stun gun company said their guns do not cause any injuries that look like the ones she had.
0: So we have one expert saying unequivocally, "This stun gun causes." And by the way, John Ramsey obviously he hired this guy. He believes him. In his book, he mentions that that, that, that well, she was stun gunned out of her bed. Well, here's why I think. She was not agreed. In the A
1: and E docu series that we have mentioned many times, the case of Jean Benet, an experiment was conducted in which they use a stun gun on a grown man weighing two hundred and eighteen pounds, lying down on a table to simulate how Jean Benet would have been laying in bed. He is first stunned over his clothes. The man cried out in pain and jumped off the table. He said he felt a rush of energy, was on high alert and anything but subdued. Yeah. If this is the reaction of an adult male weighing 218 pounds, imagine how a
0: six-year-old girl weighing 45 pounds would have reacted. So this is called a contact tase. And I've seen in a lawsuit that a friend of mine was pursuing on behalf of a client. So a friend of mine worked at a criminal firm and then the client was contact tased by a local police department and they're not supposed to because it's harmful and it could like cause you to have like heart arrhythmias Mm -hmm. because of that much of a zap to your chest. And this guy was contact. The video was disturbing mm-hmm. and the guy wouldn't calm down. So the police officers didn't use where they you shoot this, the barbs out of the gun yeah. and then electrodes go out. It's like contact tases when they just take it and stick it up next yes. to you, which is what would have happened in this situation if she supposedly was. And this video I saw of a man being contact tased by local police, he will not calm down. He's screaming, he's trying to get away, he's wriggling around also, importantly, in the Steve Thomas book, they talk about Steve and other detectives flew to Atlanta and interviewed Patsy's mom and asked her, hey, uh, have you ever woken up Jean Benet in the night? Have you ever tried to get her out of bed? And Patsy's like, yes, yeah, she flips shit whenever you try to wake her up. She'll scream if you try to take the blankets off of her. She does not like to be woken up, and she does not like to be picked up. I feel that. I know. So, exactly.
1: You... It's not a sub. It's not a way to subdue anybody. It's a way to scare the shit out of them and have them scream their head off and wake up an entire house.
0: Yeah, if you want to subdue someone, you chloroform them or something yes. like that, or put a pillow over their face. Exactly. But yeah, the zapping is normally used by. Also, it's loud. I have a taser that I go running with, and even from, I mean, through the walls, it cracks so loud. You would loud. hear it. it goes, crack. Yes. Cr- 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 yes. Cr- and that's half the time when I use it. It's if it's like there's a stray dog, I just scare them off with the sound. Oh. Yeah, that's
1: smart. Well, they do a second experiment on the docuseries and stun the man again, this time on his bare skin, which is how Jean Benet would have been stunned.
0: Also, if you haven't watched this docuseries, watch it just for this part, because the poor guy's like gets the st- stun gun through his clothes and he's like, oh God, oh God, oh God, it hurts. I can't, I can't lay back down. I can't, I can't do it. I, I'm, I, and they're like, hey buddy, we're going to need you to take your shirt off. We're going to get you right on the skin. And he goes... Okay. Yeah, and
1: he's a police officer, so he's trained in these things. Correct, but Yeah, before
0: you're allowed to use a mace or a stun gun or anything, they make you take one. Well, his
1: reaction is even bigger the second time around, understandably. Large red whelps are left behind. But nothing that looked close to the small, dark circles that were found on Jean Benet's body. So it looks like he has suffered a burn.
0: Correct. They look like... Or somebody a,
1: just slapped you with their hand as hard as they could Almost on like your bare poison skin. ivy, yes, poison oak. It's yes. like
0: the size, a little bit, about the size of a silver dollar where each taser point touched. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like tiny pinpoints. No, no.
1: Another piece of evidence that was discovered in the autopsy, arguably the biggest piece of evidence came from Jean Benet's small intestine where, quote, fragments of a yellow to light green tan apparent vegetable or fruit material, which may have represented pineapple, end quote, were found. This is extremely important for several reasons. It is known that the Ramseys had been at the White's the evening of the 25th for a dinner party. They reportedly ate around 7 p.m. and were back at home around 9.20 p.m. John and Patsy have always maintained that Jean Bonnet fell asleep on the car ride home and John carried her up to her bedroom when they arrived. Also, he reiterates this in the book. That he, in his book. That, he, that she fell asleep and he took her upstairs. They both have said that Jean Bonnet did not have anything else to eat after they left the party. However, the autopsy and crime scene photos of the kitchen tell a different story. Both the Boulder PD and experts from the docuseries believe that Jean Benet died from a blow to the head and that the strangulation with the garrote and bound wrists were all staged to divert attention away from what really happened. Forensic pathologist Leon Kelly has a different opinion. Again, here we go. There's two sides, each have very credible experts and scientists, and they each are coming up with a a, a
0: confident story that this is how it definitely mm-hmm. happened. They're like absolutely unequivocally she died from yes. the blow to the head and the other side's like absolutely unequivocally she was alive when she was yeah. strangled. Well, Leon Kelly says
1: that these small half-moon fingernail marks on her neck above the ligature prove that she was alive and struggling while she was being strangled. This blows the police's theory that she was unconscious out of the water. I've seen these autopsy photos 100%, there are small half moon marks above the ligature mark.
0: And if you've ever had a kid or somebody grip a hold of you and like make a fingernail oh, mark, yeah. that's what they are. Mm-hmm. And it's the direction that it would have been her pulling yes. down and struggling. Yes. Which is so sad. Oh, it's extremely sad. And for those that think this, the garage
1: and everything was staged, this is where it gets really wonky because it doesn't make any sense. Why she would have those marks if she was already dead?
0: Yeah, and that's, so someone
1: knowingly strangled her and watched her suffer and, and try and
0: save her life until she died. Correct, and I think in the in the Steve Thomas book too, he says that the experts that they consulted, again, there's all those dueling experts, as mm-hmm. they say. He talks about how the blow to the head definitely would have killed her. The strangulation definitely would have killed her. It's basically just a race against time, like mm-hmm. which one happened first. And theoretically, someone could have strangled her while she struggled. She goes unconscious, so the strangulation doesn't kill her, and then the brain bleed kills her. Yeah. You know, it, it's all... That's why the the it's a contributing factor because the the autopsy can't tell you exactly. Also, the issue with... Moving the body and not taking an internal temperature at the scene, yeah, they could. not That was also pointed out in the Steve Thomas book. Is a they major time snafu. Of death. Yeah, if they would have taken her internal body temperature at the scene, right, either right immediately after she was brought up, ideally, it would have been in the basement in the yeah. conditions it was in. Then they could have really pinpointed and said, okay, she's been dead for six to seven hours. Which is another reason why the pineapple is so important, correct? Because it helps with that timeline of. What time did she eat this because she was still alive then? Correct. And she had completely evacuated her bowels yes. and ate. Because she had eaten. It's not like she was at the party and only ate pineapple the whole time. No. She, she didn't was,
1: have any pineapple at the party. Yeah. She
0: was at the party eating regular food. So all of her
1: dinner had already digested and passed through. Correct. And this was found undigested, which means she
0: ate it shortly before she died. Yep. Well, there's a lot of talk about DNA in this case. Let me tell you, there's a lot of talk in John Ramsey's book. <laughs> he thinks this, this is just exonerates him in the family. Well...
1: I would beg to differ. Mm-hmm. DNA has always played a huge part in this case and so far has eliminated every potential suspect because there has been no match between a suspect and the DNA found in Jean-Benoît's underwear. But was the DNA found on jean Benet's body and underwear really that credible? On the docu-series, an experiment was conducted in which four brand new packages of children's underwear or purchased from four different stores. With gloved hands, Dr. Henry Lee removed the underwear, microscopically examined them, and discovered numerous accounts of transfer DNA that had to have come from the people that made and packaged the underwear.
0: Yes, this is can be a big issue when you're trying to determine who has touched a garment or an item. And... Patsy had
1: said she had not washed these. These were new pajamas and underwear, and they had not been washed.
0: Okay, so there's a case... Known as the woman without a face or the Phantom of Heilbronn, which a a hypothesized unknown female serial killer was inferred by DNA evidence. And there was all these murders in and around Austria, France, and Germany from nineteen ninety-three to two thousand nine, and there was a police officer killed, and it was just like all these killings, and they were finding this woman's DNA on all of these items. And at the end of the day, it turns out it was The cotton swabs that were used to collect the DNA evidence, a woman who worked in the factory that manufactured the cotton swabs had touched the cotton swabs and it was this same, first of all, hey, good for you lady for not quitting for 20 years, (laughs) but it was this woman's DNA on all these cotton swabs and she'd worked in the factory and she was never near any of these crime scenes. So it's like a, a, it's trace DNA. It's very, very easy to get your DNA onto anything. Well, yeah, that's what I was talking to a friend of mine last night about this and we were talking about it and I said, literally I could like brush up against you and mm-hmm. my D de- or I have sweat on my palm mm-hmm. and I put my hand on her shoulder and said something and then left. And then later on, she's found dead and they're like, well, Heather must've done it. Her yes. trace DNA. But imagine even that, that you work at the factory. Yeah. Also wash your underwear when you buy them. Come yeah, on, you guys. That's, I, you're supposed to wash kids clothes, with,
1: but you know, I mean, you, sometimes you're in a you rush. Yeah. You're in a
0: rush. Sure. But yeah, this is, so this is not an, an insane theory to think that a person from the underwear factory that could be right, the DNA. Right.
1: Usually DNA is very credible in cases, but sometimes it's just it, like in this situation, it doesn't really tell us that much because it's just, it's so... Saturated,
0: that it's it's just not uh, it's not a good pool. Well, and a a trace DNA is a really tenuous piece of Mm -hmm. evidence versus having semen or blood or saliva. And there was no
1: even We'll get into the sexual assault claims in a second, but there, while many claim she was sexually assaulted, there was no semen found on her body, which some say means her body had been washed. Which, well, okay, that happened at all. But again, like semen or uh like in the oj case his blood is all over the freaking crime scene in his car like so are ron and nicole's that is very credible dna evidence but just trace dna it's not
0: that much I said it's really tenuous they did say about the semen they that when they uh put a blacklight put a blacklight over there was a substance and it was a cleaning substance Mm.
1: well there's always been a lot of talk and speculation about the drop of blood found in jaminet's underwear However, the sample was so small and so degraded that it could have been there prior to her murder and from something totally unrelated. Wait, so was it new underwear? I believe the underwear was new.
0: Yes, and that was
1: what Dr. Henry Lee, he said it could have been come from the factory.
0: I would hope there wouldn't be blood drops. Well, through. I think
1: it was so tiny. Oh, yeah. Again, there's some people say it was so tiny that it can only be seen under like microscopic mm. view. And then others say it was kind of watered down, probably from the urine. Mm. But again, when we get into sexual assault, she suffered from vaginitis, which is inflammation of your vagina. And mm-hmm. who knows what might, you know,
0: she. Was a constant bedwetter, correct? Maybe there's a little bit of urine, not in only there, a bedwetter, blood bed- in her urine, and not only a bedwetter. She would just be at Fleet White. Said that at their house, she would just be playing and would just like urinate all over herself, mm-hmm. and then they would just take her clothes, put it in a bag, and then put her in Fleet and Patricia's kids' clothes and underwear and everything, and send her home. Yeah. So she had a she had a chronic, not just bedwetting, just wetting herself
1: problem. Correct. Well, the more important and telling DNA would be from the ransom note pin, garrote, and what some believe to be the murder weapon, the flashlight that can be seen on the kitchen counter in the crime scene photos. Dr. Lee and other experts believe that if these pieces of evidence were to be retested, it
0: is possible to discover the killer's identity. Because in 1996, it was, they would take it, but there wasn't a lot they could do with it. Right. And they would take a lot of samples, but they didn't have the type of technology and testing that we have now. I do, I mean, I think they need to Absolutely. They also didn't untie the knot of the garot and test it back then correct and the, which is insane because there was definitely going to yes. be epithelials which is like the little skin flakes yes. in between of you pulling a rope that tight the the inside
1: of the knots and her hair had been mm-hmm. caught in that knot there is key dna
0: evidence in there if they were to retest it again so why don't they well so john ramsey postulated that there was a failure on the part of the boulder pd to test anything because they were very convinced that it was john and patricia he's not wrong about that and they they just refuse it's like Sherlock Holmes, which I've also been listening to for funsies, is <laughs> my favorites. The, the, the show? The no, no, no. The, it's like the complete works of um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle audiobook, and yeah. i just like listen to that uh, when I'm not listening to John Benet Ramsey books. <laughs> and that it's, You take all the evidence in, and that's the only way you can get a complete picture. Mm-hmm. You can't just ignore a piece that doesn't fit your theory, no. and I think that's what the police were doing. I do, Because too. their theory was like, oh, 68% of child deaths are someone in the family. Must have been someone in the family. Well, this much show sure that it wasn't just shh, don't look yeah up. exactly yeah We're,
1: we've talked a lot about these sexual assault claims so let's talk more about that yeah when a blonde hair blue-eyed six-year-old that has been heavily involved in the beauty pageant scene is brutally murdered The motive of pedophilia is going
0: to quickly come up. When Dr. Phil goes, who do you think killed your sister? Burke Ramsey said, I was probably, is probably a pedophile, like in one of the audience of one of her, you know, pageants. And they saw her and they got obsessed with her. I mean, it's a possibility. Yeah.
1: At the time of her murder, the media quickly reported that Jean Benet had not only been sexually assaulted before her murder, but had also been a victim for years prior. That
0: was... The media... Can okay. Suck a dick. Let me just say, there's a lot of claims. If you look at the uh, the autopsy, and they do do look in her hymen is intact, and they look in the history of what has happened to her, there's no evidence of no, that. No. And I was listening to another podcast, and they were like, "This kid got raped and murdered." No, I was like, she, she, she did really not. Didn't Thankfully, she didn't. They, I mean, yeah, for her
1: sake. The Boulder PD hired experts to support their claim. Chrissy says
0: that because it's in quotes. It is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> to support their claim of prior sexual abuse. However, none of them were actual pathologists. One of their experts claimed that she felt quote in her heart that Jean Benet had been sexually abused. Good God. You ain't a scientist if you feel it. Oh my God. The, the sciences of the evidence. Contrary to this opinion, the evidence actually shows that Jean Bidet had not suffered prior sexual abuse and wasn't sexually assaulted at the time of her death. Correct. Dr. Leon Kelly, the forensic pathologist we mentioned, is also an expert on abused children. He said there were no signs of scarring or tearing which would occur if a child had been sexually abused and any inflammation or irritation was most likely caused from vaginitis for which john Binet had recently been treated by her pediatrician vaginitis is very common in children and can be caused from soap irritation and poor wiping her pediatrician also denied all claims of sexual abuse and said that he has seen many cases of sexual abuse in children knows the signs and symptoms and that Jean-Benet never displayed any of them.
0: Yeah, the pediatrician treated her her whole entire mm-hmm. life, same doctor whole life, and he said that every kid, it's part of his routine yes. examination is to check for signs, to talk with them. He knows how they behave, how they react to certain questions. And he said she was a happy, regular yeah. kid. That some people would say, "Well, putting your kid in beauty pageant, sexually abusing him." Okay, well, I mean, that's objectifying your kid and whatever. That's also but that's not, not the same. Her, she didn't have a choice. Really <laughs> Correct. Yeah, and and also according well again check as my mother would say consider the source john Ramsey <laughs> claims that she was like a super outgoing kid and she lo- he's like for her her and her cousins would get up and do like not talent shows but like get up and like sing and do tap dances and play and that she liked doing that stuff and that was she
1: liked to be in this i mean i did
0: too as a kid yeah they were oh same oh yeah there's videos. probably
1: why we do what we do now
0: probably yeah there's videos of me being like look at me look at me and he said that's how she was i always wanted to be the center of attention still do i was really sad i couldn't be in pageants i do love my mom why couldn't you be in pageants i don't know i was like a fat weird kid no (laughs) one wanted to see that Fuck that! I, that is exactly the pageant I'm like see. Dumplin'. I should have been. Oh, Mini Heather, a little baby Heather Dumplin'. or Little Miss Sunshine. Although yes. she wasn't fat, but she was she was weird. She was so but awkward she's little... the one
1: that needed to be in that pageant. She was when. the best. Her little dance was so cute. That movie, I do remember. I could cry thinking about the movie, but I'm not because this will not be the fourth episode in a
0: row that I cry. On. But you spontaneously cry. I <laughs> just burst into tears. I do remember very overweight little Heather going in the living room to my mom and being like, "Mama, I think I want to be a ballerina," and she goes, "You can be." whatever you want to be and I just tried to dance and it was so bad and she's just like keep trying sweetheart and I think she she knew I would burn out she wasn't like ballerinas are not shaped like barrels good for her and they as she shouldn't I will that's
1: one thing that I am super adamant about is not body shaming not and not body shaming not only my Ella which I would never do but being cognizant of I mean I've body shamed myself for I mean, I'm almost 40 for- An eternity. Yes, an Same. eternity. But now that you have a child that is just a sponge, I don't want her hearing the way I think or talk about myself and then internalizing that and having this warped idea of what beauty or yes. or anything is for a woman. So I've really, here I go. Now, <laughs> I'm going to start crying. <laughs> Guys, full disclosure, I think I'm about to start my period. <laughs> this <laughs> might be but I don't want her to internalize that. Yeah. And and so I really have to be conscious. And I mean, right now she still can't really understand, but even now I'm trying to break that habit and pattern. Mm -hmm. of like
0: shaming myself. So, I don't do that. I went know? to take a photo with my four year old niece yesterday and we put up the selfie camera and my bangs were like kind of weird and separated and I said, Oh hang on, I gotta fix my hair and she goes, Yeah, me too. I gotta fix my hair and I was like, Oh God, no, yes. what have I done? It's and I was crazy. Like, your hair is perfect. Don't yeah. touch it at all. It's it, they are
1: little sponges that yes. take in everything regardless if you think oh, it's important or not. And you know it, it that's what's so scary about being a parent is you have to watch Everything you say, because
0: anything you say could fuck your kid up for life. I know, and I'm like, I'm not even your parent. I don't want to fuck you up. I oh know, God.
1: I know it's wild. It's, I think I'm doing
0: an okay job. I as think an you're aunt. doing a
1: great job. You're a fantastic aunt.
0: You're a fantastic mom. Oh,
1: thank you so much. Well, we've talked about the police versus the DNA, the D- the DNA. Well, and the
0: and the DA, the police versus everybody. So this is where, Steve, so John Ramsey's book is. John Ramsey, it's a Ramsey exoneration book, like, right? He's going to be like, this is why Uh, we're a happy, good family, and this is it. So every time I listen to something, I'm a lawyer, I'm cynical, and I'm like, why are you writing this? Mm -hmm. So that's why he's writing it. Also, it's like kind of a Christian nonfiction book, so it's very weighted towards like your faith and relying on your faith and yada, yada, yada. The Steve Thomas book, so Steve Thomas was a detective, Mm -hmm. his whole book is just like why the DA's office sucks. And it is every (laughs) other fact
1: to point to it. No
0: joke, like every other thing, it's just like, well, the DA's office was right up the Ramsey's asshole and gave him everything and he, they wanted. he is
1: also on this docuseries, and he is
0: still so bitter. tossed about it. It's so bitter. Honestly,
1: I enjoyed seeing how mad he was, because I'm like, I'm glad that you're still this pissed off and passionate about he, something.
0: He wrote a thousand, thousand, thousands of pages of, of angry vitriol. I mean, it is well-researched, but it is a very long book. I mean, and it's, it's got a lot of research, but it also has just a lot of repetitive, like, <laughs> another <laughs> blunder by the DA's office. Like, just oh, right, another burn us. at
1: them. Well, from the time this case started, there have always been two sides. Those that believe an intruder murdered Bonnet, and those that believe someone in her family committed this horrific crime. From early on the investigation, it became clear that the Boulder PD was confident this was a family affair. Many have criticized them for having a groupthink mentality that caused them to ignore evidence that pointed to other suspects and theories. Well, I agree with this. Even though I'm not saying the family didn't do it, they did not do their due diligence by following all the leads they should have.
0: What you should do is gather evidence and then come up with a theory. Yes. In this case, the police came up with a theory and tried to only— Cherry picked the evidence that supported it. And also the book, the John Ramsey book, because you know, one of the big things people have made of it of like, if you're not guilty, why would you get a lawyer? First of all, said it in the last episode. I'll say it again. Always get a lawyer. Never talk to the cops. Yes. No. But he said that he was he just, like wasn't even thinking about getting a lawyer, like was not on his mind. And he claims that if he was sitting at um, I want to say he was at Fleet White's house. It's like where they went right after mm-hmm. when they got evacuated from the crime scene. And he said that his attorney came up... Mike his, Bynum, yeah. Mike came up and said, I'm not going to tell you who I heard this from, but someone in the DA's office called me and said, the police are absolutely out to get you. Mm-hmm. They are going to pin this on you. You need someone. Do not talk to them. So then, of course, the Ramses clammed up, and wouldn't you, if you were told... Hey, man, hey, inside information. And who knows? Maybe Mike Bynum was like, hey, Bob Smith in the DA's office told me, and John Ramsey's not trying to front him out in his book. But yeah, he said that's why they, he goes, hiring a lawyer was like the furthest thing from my mind. I totally didn't even think about it. But he said, the guy came up to me and was like, you're about to get accused of murder, FYI, and they're going to build a case against you. You need help. Yes. I
1: mean, I would have done the same thing. I don't fault them for that. On the other hand, the district attorney's office felt the complete opposite. D.A. Alex Hunter, who, what a piece of work this guy was. He veh- looks like Mr. Rooney from The Fair <laughs> <Steeler>. Totally does. <laughs> Well, he vehemently denied the Ramses having any part in their daughter's death. Ideally, the police department and the D.A. worked together to achieve the common goal of catching the bad guy. Mm-hmm. This was definitely not the case here. The D.A. refused to grant search warrants for credit card statements
0: forcing police to search through hundreds of receipts by hand. They also argue. so what happened was is the Ramseys were getting information. Well, the Ramsey attorney, who used to work in the DA's office, if I'm not mistaken, was getting information from a friend inside the DA's office. Which completely compromises the investigation. You're really not supposed to do that. Also, Alex Hunter was well-known at the time for saying, "Uh, why are we going to charge people with a crime? It's going to ruin their life. He went – there was – uh, there was something like ninety six or ninety eight percent of cases didn't go to trial. That's insane, and they just got pled out. He just pled, pled, pled all the time. And they does that was- look better for him?
1: Well, you technically, you get wanna- conviction.
0: You're getting convictions. Like you're not. You risk- are. I mean, and you're not having to go to trial. Yeah, but then he did get in trouble because then a criminal justice reform group was like, "You're forcing people to plead to things. They deserve their day in court. If you say." intently I did not do this. And they're like, Well, you could go to trial and we're gonna charge you with a bunch of stuff. Or we'll just charge you with this misdemeanor yeah. and you can leave. People are like, Well, I don't really Okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. Then innocent people are being charged and like copying the stuff that he didn't do just so they can leave and not be put through a trial. Yeah. But they said, yeah, his whole deal was like, well, we shouldn't charge people with things because, you know, it's going to ruin their life and be really bad. Also, well, he guess was, what?
1: Who else's life was ruined? This well, little girl that was needs strangled justice. to death in her freaking basement. And
0: also Alex Hunter um, was elected and the Ramses were wealthy and politically influential. And so people say that that's why oh, sure. That he was trying to kind of cater to them because they're like rich, don- like political donors. Absolutely. But also the Basically, once the DA's office started leaking information to the Ramseys through their attorney, then the police stopped sharing information with the DA's office. Then vice versa, they weren't getting information. So then the DA's office stopped sharing information yeah. with the police. It was a very bad relationship. It was very bad. Also, they said Alex Hunter was super defense attorney friendly because he, they would just plead everything. They said the defense attorneys could just wander through the DA's office. Files weren't locked down. You could just go in and work out of one of their rooms. like It was too casual. It was super casual. And the Steve Thomas was like, Yeah, when I came over, I was like, What in the hell is going on? Yeah. This is not how DA's offices are run. On April 30th,
1: 1997, finally, the Ramseys agreed to be interviewed by police, and Detective Thomas learned that Alex Hunter
0: had given the Ramseys police reports in order to prepare for the interview. This is insanity. Yeah, so the problem is, is you don't want to have, first of all, you don't want to leave the two suspects alone together for any amount of time. Well, much how many? 120 days? 120 yeah. days. Since
1: their daughter was married and uh, married, murdered until the time they, they finally gave an interview. They've had 120 days to
0: come up with a story. Correct. And then... And now they know what the police are going to be asking them. Correct. Because they would say, well, I don't remember. I don't remember. But then they have the police reports that they could look at and say, well, what would you say to Detective so-and-so when you came up the stairs? Oh, I said this and this. Yes. And it's whatever was in the report. Completely compromises...
1: The point of an interview where they want to catch them by surprise and be able to get honest and real answers and see out of what them. they
0: really do and do not remember.
1: Yes, when it became apparent to the police and FBI that they were getting nowhere, they requested a grand jury, to which Hunter replied, quote, "I need to get with my people. This is a political decision." Ooh. The very next day, the FBI pulled out of the investigation when Lou Smith resigned because he didn't like how the investigation was being handled, Michael Kane, not the Michael Kane, <laughs> special not prosecutor Michael Kane, assigned to take the case to a grand jury, sought an injunction against Smith, which was filed in Alex Hunter's name, demanding the surrender of all his evidence and sought court permission to have it permanently erased. Is this this is not standard procedure. No, 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 no. But here's what I don't understand. Lou Smith was on the same side as the D.A., that it was an intruder and it wasn't the Ramseys, and all of the evidence he'd gathered pointed to that. So why would the D.A. want to destroy his evidence
0: instead of use it to bolster their side? Well, I would wonder if Michael Kane, since he was a special prosecutor assigned to take the case to the grand jury, and the grand jury was taking it in the name of Patsy and John did it, then that would be why Michael Kane would want to destroy Lou Smith's evidence because Lou Smith was working on behalf of the Ramseys. So it could have worked against them? I don't understand your question. I'm saying Michael Kane was assigned as a special prosecutor because Alex Hunter said, oh, this is a political decision. I can't be a part of it. Oh. It's like Robert Mueller. It's like, oh, I, Jeff Sessions is like, I can't do this investigation. I'll hire someone else to do it. And you get like a neutral third party to do it. So usually a special prosecutor like that is not under really under the direction of the DA's office. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha.
1: Well, these types of actions were unprecedented. And when Smith contacted his own DA, bob russell in el paso county russell contacted the man he normally battled against but now found himself seeking his expertise prosecutor greg walta both men worked with Smith and inevitably he was allowed to keep all of his evidence. So these men did what you should do. Correct. And regardless of your position or side, you work together to make, to, to do what's right, to seek justice that's and make point. sure justice is served. That's, that's the, 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 the point th- of the whole freaking justice The point of being a lawyer. Yeah, exactly. People forget that. They do. They do. Smith passed away from colon cancer in 2010 and according to his family he had still been working on the Jean Benet case 12 days before his death while in hospice he was passionate about finding justice for Jean Benet before he died while he was unsuccessful he did leave an archive on the case with his family including an intricate spreadsheet of 50 to 60 names of possible suspects Perhaps one day his dedication will lead to the apprehension of the murderer.
0: His <laughs> daughter said he was obsessed with this case and, and John was seeking the, justice. John said they loved him and that he, they met for coffee with him and that he, he pulled out his wallet and he had a picture of Jean Benet and her little ski <sighs> outfit in his wallet. And he was like, I think about your daughter every day wow. and this is the huge, massive injustice and I will work until I die to find what and happened he to her. he tw- was in hospice. He was still because he knew he was about to
1: kick it and he wanted to see if like he could figure it, it out. Mm-hmm. And he left a, a huge mound of evidence with his family that they're just holding on to. Well, eventually, a grand jury was called. And on October 13th, 1999, the jurors came to a decision. So,
0: the d- d- grand jury proceeding is not a trial. Let's just start there. Yes. Yes. Grand jury proceeding. Only the prosecution brings evidence. There's no defense. There's no rebuttal. And the grand jury hands down a decision whether or not they believe there's sufficient evidence to proceed to trial. Yes. They don't, they don't issue a verdict. They don't issue whether someone's guilty or not. All the grand jury has to decide is whether or not that there is sufficient evidence to proceed to trial. And I believe Steve Thomas said, quote, I could get a grand jury to indict a ham sandwich if I had enough time, because it's literally... Don't indict a ham sandwich. That thing's done nothing to you but be delicious. In the case of the state of Colorado versus ham sandwich, we find you delicious. (laughs) Um, But a, a grand jury only hears, literally only hears half of the case. You're right, right, right. Because there's no defense. So following their decision, Alex Hunter gave
1: a press conference stating that no indictments would be made due to lack of
0: evidence. So the DA gets to decide whether or not they want to pursue the charges. So the grand jury decides if there's sufficient evidence, and then a DA can do what's called, in Texas at least, is a no bill, where they're like, we're not going I'm, to, I'm not going to proceed. His carefully worded
1: statement led both the public and fellow investigators to believe that the jury had not voted to indict. It wasn't until 2013 when the Boulder Daily Camera broke the story, that everyone learned the grand jury had in fact voted to indict John and Patsy Ramsey on charges of child abuse
0: resulting in death, but Hunter had refused to sign. So, the grand jury saw half of the evidence, and then based on that said there's at least enough to proceed to trial, and Alex Hunter said, nah. Is that typical? It depends on what Alex Hunter knows. But in a... In a
1: regular grand jury case, does the DA typically refuse to side with what
0: the jurors have decided? Not typically, but sometimes, just depending on how much evidence the DA has seen that's contrary or how much. Say you say in the grand jury they see evidence that's like, we have evidence that you know will prove that John Ramsey's the one that tied that knot because he had a boat. And that was a really sure. intricate boat knot on the garage. Well, then the flip side would be well, we and they don't present this to the grand jury, but the DA in his head knows that it's a super common knot. So that's not really a strong piece of evidence. Also, there's no DNA evidence of John ever touching that rope. So that so the grand jury will see the piece of evidence that could Point to John and Patsy, but Alex Hunter may know the rebuttal to those, which you don't present to the grand jury. He may know, okay, even though it lo- it could look like John did it, here's three reasons why he definitively didn't do it. So then he would choose not to proceed because why would you go to trial for something you know you're going to lose?
1: It seems like there's no point in this grand jury then. <laughs> I mean, if the DA can ultimately make the decision... Then it's not they, binding. Yeah. They have uh, ultimate power over it. Yeah, they do. At the end of the day, so it just seems
0: maybe like there should be some more checks and balances. I don't know. Oh, you mean like if if the grand jury finds that there's sufficient evidence yes, to proceed, yes. that they should have to, or yeah, maybe, or that
1: at least if the DA then says no, we're not going to it, there's a second part of it it's not just cut and dry okay well that was all for naught and we won't proceed
0: well and a lot of it is to it's almost like a test run for the prosecutor too to just see if they could do it it doesn't mean they have to Mm -hmm. there's no judge present there's no wasting a lot of taxpayers dollars there's no rules of evidence or anything like that
1: so that is how the da and the police did not get along and continued to muddle this investigation. Perhaps both sides are guilty of not looking at potential suspects and theories because they had such a strong, they they already had their minds made up. Yes, they were all very biased. So now we're going to go over some of the potential suspects and theories. And these are not all of the suspects because there are a lot. We just picked the ones that are the more probable suspects. So the first one, how appropriate. Santa. I don't think Santa. Krampus, maybe. Santa. (laughs) Never. Did not do this. Bill McBreynolds was a family friend of the Ramseys and dressed up every year as Santa for Patsy's famed Christmas party. Two nights before the murder, Bill had been at the Ramseys for said party when some say he paid a little too much attention to Jean Benet. He had called Jean Benet his special friend and reportedly gave her a card that said, You will receive a very special gift after Christmas. While this may have just been a sweet old man playing Santa, trying to spread some Christmas cheer. Some read into this and drew the conclusion that he was a child predator.
0: I feel bad because I had a uh, a, uh, godfather that lived on the street, and he was just like a nice old man. And he wasn't a child molester. He was just a nice, funny old dude that liked to just, you know, he was just a friendly dude.
1: Sometimes you're just a nice old man.
0: And then you get much like the pigeon man on Home Alone. (laughs) You're wrongfully you accused are of being another a creep. Christmas movie shout-out, Christmas reference. But they did say that Bill loved Bonnet and that she gave him a little vial of glitter mm-hmm. that said it was Christmas magic dust to sprinkle in his beard. And that he took the vial when he had surgery because he let, and he said that if he died, that he wanted the glitter to be mixed with his ashes. Which a lot of people said a little weird, but maybe just was creepy. But maybe he, just pulled at his heartstrings a bit. He thought it was magic. <laughs> It was, and
1: honestly, if you're going in for open heart surgery or whatever you had, maybe you want all the little help you can. You get. know what? If
0: you're, you know, it's a little a little uh, boost, a little yes. boost
1: in the beard, a little boost in the beard. Bill maintained his innocence until his death in two thousand two. While some still believe he could be the murderer, most experts
0: agree that he is an unlikely suspect and was just a victim of character assassination. Even if you believe that there was an intruder who came through that grate on the side of the house, he was shaped like Santa. And he would have also come down the chimney. Yeah, I don't think he could. Well, I was going to say, I don't think he could fit through there, but yeah, if he's coming down the chimney, chimney, fuck it. Next up, this weirdo. Fuck this guy six ways from Sunday. Yeah. John Mark Carr. Which is, by the way, a criminal name.
1: Oh, we, all serial killers. Well, I mean, I guess most people have three names, but, but all serial killers
0: them. go by their three that's names. That's on the office of this George Howard Scubb, and uh, that was the name of the Scranton Strangler was George Howard Scubb, <laughs> and uh, Daryl's like, that's a killer name. <laughs> it's like, that's a crazy man's <laughs> name.
1: <laughs> on August 16th, 2006... American former schoolteacher... Oh, great. He was a
0: schoolteacher. Yes.
1: <laughs> John Mark Carr was arrested in Thailand as a suspect in the murder of Jean Benet. Even though Carr confessed to killing the former beauty queen, the inconsistencies in his story were immediate red flags. For starters, Carr said he drugged Jean Benet. However, the autopsy report revealed there were no drugs in her system. He also refused to tell police how he gained entry to the house and provided no details that weren't publicly available. So he's a
0: weird creep who is also a
1: liar. He also
0: looks like the biggest creepo. He's, a, he's got a sex predator face. Oh, yeah. That's my opinion. Sure. Yes. <laughs> also, he is an actual sex predator. Yes, yes.
1: At one point, Carr also changed his story from that he had killed Jean Benet to that he was just in the room when a second perpetrator committed the crime. Ultimately, DNA evidence exonerated Carr, as his did not match any that was found on Jean Benet. So why would someone confess to one of the most high-profile crimes of the century? Most experts say it comes down to wanting notoriety and fame.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: When it comes to crimes that have a lot of media attention, false confessions aren't that uncommon. After the 1932 kidnapping of Charles Lindbergh's baby, over 200 people Falsely confessed. What is wrong with
0: folks? what is wrong with folks? That is so sick and twisted.
1: Another possibility was that Carr was suffering from some manner of delusion. Long before he falsely confessed, Carr had been obsessed with the case. He wrote long letters to John and Patsy, and corresponded with the professor who had made documentaries about the killing. Ironically. This professor was the one who notified police about Carr's creepy obsession with the case, which ultimately led to his arrest.
0: So you played yourself, John Mark Carr? Yes, you did. Done goof.
1: I also read that he now lives in Seattle or Oregon. Oh, he's just out free. Changed his identity. Changed his gender.
0: Oh, okay. So well, maybe may he find happiness. May he find happiness. But wasn't he or she find happiness? Yes, that's true. I'm sorry. May she find happiness. Was previously John Mark Carr was. Uh, arrested for child pornography. I believe that's why he was yeah. in Thailand, but, but he was uh, avoiding child pornography. Yes, charges. He okay. had escaped so to Thailand. I, he's I, a real, he's
1: a good dude. She's a wonderful lady. Gary Olivia or the town drifter, as he was known, 32 year
0: old convicted pedophile. All right. Living in Boulder, Colorado at the time of the murder. John Ramsey does point out that uh, over 40 convicted child predators were living within five miles of their house at the time. That seems high, but honestly, I'm well, sure Boulder was a, just that, a lot more around us right now. Boulder was a pretty loose place. Yeah. You didn't get arrested for anything. and yeah. If you did, they wouldn't convict you. In 2000,
1: Olivia had been apprehended on drug charges when police allegedly found a magazine cutout of Jean Benet in his backpack. After Jean Benet's death, Olivia's high school friend came forward and said that not long after the murder, Olivia called him and confessed that he, quote, hurt a little girl. He also said that the knots used to make the garrote were similar to ones in an incident where mm-hmm. Olivia attempted to strangle his mother with a phone cord. Well, this guy's just a real gem. Mm-hmm. Like all other potential intruders, Olivia was eventually cleared because his DNA did not match the DNA found in Jean Benet's underwear. I mean, because we just talked about how the DNA really isn't that credible. They could have let her murderer go thinking True. it wasn't them because the you DNA quote, didn't unquote, match. Exonerated. Yes. But. Yes. Next step. The only female that, w- well, other than Patsy, that was considered a suspect. Linda Hoffman Pugh, their housekeeper. She was the Ramsey's housekeeper, and her husband, Mervyn, worked as their handyman. Linda was pretty
0: vocal that she believed Patsy had accidentally killed her daughter in a fit of rage over a bedwetting accident. And Linda was the one that spilled the beans about, they had a special washing machine right by Jean Benet's bedroom to wash all of her pee-soaked sheets. Oh. And she's the one that talked about when she would come to clean the house, there would already be a load of laundry going. This poor little girl. I know. Perhaps this is why Linda herself became a
1: suspect, even though she didn't fit the police profile of white male, former convict, and 25 to 30 years old. Patsy claimed that Linda was struggling financially and had asked for a loan, which Patsy declined. It was also believed that she could have easily seen John's pay stub. Oh, for the 118000 For, 100, for 118000 And that Jean Benet would have trusted her to follow her down the
0: stairs and into the basement. It just seems unlikely. It seems very unlikely. That a woman who knew and kind of watched the kids grow up would not just take her for ransom and take the money, but then would like kill her, you yes. know, in such a violent it's, personal it's way. It's
1: unnecessary. And, all, and typically this, that is not, this is not the crime of a female. Correct. The Boulder police went to Linda's house the day after the murder to have her write $118,000 on a piece of paper. And took her fingerprints and a hair strand. She eventually testified in front of the grand jury for eight hours. Good Lord, woman! Where it was determined all the evidence against her was
0: circumstantial. Yeah, she was just—I'm sure any DNA or fingerprints in the house were as a result of she'd be she was all the over maid. that house. Yeah, she'd, she'd be she all over maid. that house. Also, but if she did do it, pretty good alibi. That's true. Be like, I don't know, I must have touched the, the stairwell when I was
1: cleaning, right? Here's Glenn Meyer, and this one is getting a lot of media attention recently. Yeah, this was like a 2018 bombshell. Yes. So in February of this year, new accusations from 85-year-old Charlotte Hay and a deathbed confession from one of the Ramsey's neighbors have thrust the intruder theory back into the spotlight. Charlotte claimed that her ex-husband, Glenn Meyer, murdered Jean Benet. She said she always suspected he had done the unthinkable, and, quote, when I asked him if he murdered her, he would just smile at me. He wouldn't deny it. Come on, Glenn Meyer, you perv. A neighbor that lived by the ramses at the time of the murder also confessed on her deathbed that she had seen Meyer on the Ramsey property that night. She said she had always felt guilty about not coming forward, had to get it off her chest before she died. Here's the thing with deathbed confessions.
0: Hmm.
1: One. It would not happen to me because I have such a guilty conscience that I have to immediately tell people when something's <laughs> happened. You rat yourself out like fully healthy yes. and alive. But what is this woman's motivation for not going to the police with that well, earlier? Because it's not like she's she's not saying he she did doesn't it. know this person. Yeah, I mean, why is she concerned with protecting him unless she just doesn't want to stir things up? You know. One of those people. That's- I love stirring things up. So if if I see you on somebody's property and then somebody <laughs> dies, I'll be going to the police with
0: your name. Well, also, it wasn't. It's no harm, no foul. If you said, "I think mm-hmm. I saw Glenn on the property," then there, a, there could have been an explanation. B, you could be mistaken. Or C, they could test it and exonerate him. Or yeah, he's the one that did it. So really, at the end of the day, it's a win-win. It's not
1: even that big a piece of evidence, really. I mean, if you said I saw him go over
0: there with. Uh, rope and duct tape and a bag. Of, okay. Yeah. Or I saw him coming back and he was covered in blood yeah. or something. No, it's, it's bizarre. Yeah. Your family is waiting for a deathbed confession for you to be like, the money is hidden beneath <laughs> the third <laughs> yeah. stair. They're, they were all rolled down. by like, God that. damn it. Mom.
1: God. <laughs> Meyer lived across the street from the Ramses
0: at the time of the murder in their neighbor's basement. It was the barn Hills. Yes. Who was the one that was dog sitting their dog while yes. they were going out of town. He claimed that he had been in bed with the
1: stomach flu on the night of the murder.
0: My favorite excuse for anything is to just be like, I had massive diarrhea. <laughs> Nobody can argue with it. Nope. They don't know. You can't prove it. On December
1: 23rd, two nights before the murder, Meyer showed up uninvited to the Ramsey's Christmas party. Gate crasher. He was reportedly looking for his landlords, the Barnhills, who were guests of the party, to tell them their dogs were barking. Patsy said she believed her father may have invited him in but is not certain if he interacted with Chauvinet.
0: And also, if he's going in wandering around the house, he could kind of get a feel Mm -hmm. of it, of where things are at. For sure, for sure. Meyer was initially a suspect, due to his
1: handwriting being very similar to the one on the ransom note. They said his
0: G's and his Y's were identical to the kind of weird G's and Y's in the ransom note. They were a specific... Type of way to write Mm -hmm. those. He was also drowning in debt, battled mental illness, and had a
1: history of violence. Oh, yeah. He was very violent. In 1991, he had been arrested for assault in a domestic violence case and was ordered to attend anger management classes. Charlotte also said that he had been violent with her little girl who was in fourth grade at the time. Allegedly, he had also hit Charlotte's one-year-old grandchild while she sat in her high chair. Yeah, this guy was a douchebag. Big time. Possibly the most compelling piece of evidence that potentially linked Meyer to the crime was made by Lou Smith. While searching Meyer's room in the neighbor's basement, he found a photo of a Navy Avenger aircraft with the lettering SBTC. What? The same acronym used to sign the ransom note. So
0: the other idea would be that he was in the house on the Christmas party Took the pen, took the pad, oh. took it home, wrote the note, brought the shit back, and put it back where he found it. Wow, I hadn't even thought that. Wiped of it clean. Did you just think of that, or no? I didn't think of it. it. I just thought of it whenever they said that he had. When I was researching this guy, oh. and it said he had been in on the twenty third. Okay. Not only that's could what's he have, been tripping me up about him
1: is this ransom note, but that's a good theory.
0: Yeah. Oof. And that maybe he did plan on. He, he had written the ransom note and was like, all right, I'm going to go in. I'm going to take her. And maybe she freaked out and started like wiggling when he was trying to take her and he whacked her on her head and sh- and was like, oh, well, shit, now I got to kill her, you oh. know, because, I mean, he hit her on her head. Yeah. Know?
1: Although Meyer was an initial suspect in the murder. And even submitted blood, DNA, and hair samples. He was eventually cleared after passing a lie detector test. Which,
0: I mean, like George Costanza said, it's not a lie if you believe it. So if <laughs> you convince yourself, you can pass a lie I, detector I, I test. think polygraph tests are pretty meaningless.
1: I mean, you really, you can I train feel yourself. like I could beat one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, yeah. And especially if you are already delusional. True. I mean, if you're, that's why sociopaths and psychopaths can beat them so easily. Because you, George Costanza, you believe it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they don't think they're guilty. After the murder, Meyer moved to Indiana, where he lived in a state-run complex for elderly homeless people until his death. It has been reported that he built a macabre shrine to Jean Benet in his room out of pictures and newspaper clippings. Yeah, they
0: said towards the end of his life, he started suffering from dementia Mm -hmm. and was obsessed with pictures of her. God.
1: Roscoe Clark, a handwriting analysis expert, recently re-examined Meyer's handwriting compared to the ransom note and said it is a perfect match. And that, quote, Meyer had a unique writing style that's consistent with the ransom note, making it highly likely that he wrote it. Even so, the amount of time it would have taken to write that note still makes it hard to fathom it wasn't a family member, but Heather just came up with a really good theory. That he stole the pad on
0: the yes. 23rd when he gate crashed the party. Also,
1: maybe he saw that pay stub. True. True, true. I mean, I don't... Who knows what they leave out. But it would be weird to leave just a pay tub for a hundred. But if he was rough, rummaging through the the desk area where they kept mm-hmm. that stuff and it happened to have been sitting
0: there. Well, and also they said he that when she threw these parties and Patsy threw these parties, they were, like, totally extravagant. They were totally crowded. Everybody who was who in town was yes. there. They And John talks about that in his book. of He has a long list of regrets of, like, I should have secured all the windows and doors. Yeah. I should have set the alarm. I should have taken the dog. Also... The Barnhills were dog-sitting the Ramsey's dog because they were leaving town the next morning, and he took the dog over there Christmas morning, the 25th, and so Glenn Meyer would have known that they didn't have a dog in the house.
1: Oh, that's true. Because the
0: Barnhills were dogs. Well, and that's
1: why he came over was to say, "Hey, your dog's barking." No, he
0: came over to tell on the 23rd, he came over to tell the ran tell to find the Barnhills and tell them that their dog was barking. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah and yeah, so yeah. then on the 25th, John took their dog to the Barnhills really to be dog sat. So then Glenn would have known. They said, "Hey, we're fixing to go to the Whites' Christmas party. Mm-hmm. Take our dog." Thanks. So they're not home. So then Glenn Meyer goes over, hides in the house. And either, Oh, you think he was already there? John thinks, that's what John thinks, is that he didn't sneak in in the night, that whoever it was snuck in while they were at the party for those multiple hours, because they went to Fleet White's party, and then they stopped on, I think they made one or two stops on the way home.
1: Wow. That's all compelling. In light of these new accusations, many are calling for authorities to exhume Meyer's body and retest the DNA. If they comply, perhaps we'll finally have some concrete answers to close this case. I think if they do that, though, they're going to have to retest all the evidence. Because yeah, they, the DNA they've been testing on her body, is I a trace. imagine they already tested it against the DNA he provided. And that was one of the reasons, in addition to the
0: lie detector, that he was cleared. They need to test the garage yes. inside the knots. So those were potential suspects for the intruder theory. The number one text message DM face-to-face thing we've gotten has been Burke did it yes I'm not saying that because I don't want to get sued because <laughs> Burke Ramsey is suing CBS yes for a lot of more money than either one of us has 750 million dollars and he's individually suing Dr. Werner Spitz mm-hmm. for 150 million dollars so the following is us presenting evidence yes this is our opinion and only our opinion but our opinion is not that anybody did it we just don't know here's the evidence right please don't sue us Statistics show that if a child of Jean Benet's age is killed in
1: her home, it is most likely a family member. However, the brutality of this attack says the complete opposite. That certainly hasn't prevented every family member that was in the home that night from being looked at as the murderer. I may be a sucker.
0: Oh, gosh. But listening to John Ramsey's book, even though it was a little saccharine for my taste, that sounds like a pretty happy family. I really uh, – I, I think I, they were real
1: weird and eccentric, but that doesn't mean they weren't happy.
0: You know, they – well, apparently on Christmas Day, Patsy had gotten JonBenet a My Twin Doll. Yes. That it's was in the photos laying in the box with its eyes shut and blonde hair. And it looks just like Jean Binet And John says Patsy and, and uh, he kind of like not laugh, but kind of like that thing looks like it's dead. Oh, God. She goes, John, it looks like it's in a coffin. He's like, yeah, it kind of does. And Jean Binet was kind of like, uh, he said she didn't really, she was more stoked about the cross necklace that she got. And I think she got like a bracelet and she was more excited about those. than they were stoked about this doll. Cause they bought her all these outfits and they could match. And they said they opened it and it basically looked like a, oh, wow. a doll in a coffin.
1: That's, unfortunate well first up is the mother patsy patsy was one of the initial suspects and remained so until her death in 2006 some believe that she accidentally killed jean benet in a fit of rage over a bedwetting accident however patsy had no prior history of violent behavior and her friends said there was no way she could have killed her daughter
0: and to be fair this kid wet the bed all the time yeah if you're gonna
1: snap it probably would have happened a while back yes Even if she didn't commit the actual murder, the evidence pointing to her being the author of the ransom note is strong and compelling, to say the least. But if she didn't commit the murder, what would have been her motive for trying to
0: cover it up? This is where we need to give a shout out to uh, Elise in Philly because first of all, rude that she had a forensic science class in high school and they got to listen to nine one one calls and do analysis of bones and hair and stuff. Oh, that's pretty but she sweet. pointed out that in one of her classes that they learned that when a family member who later on has been proven to have killed the a child or a wife or something like that, that when on the nine one one calls they never say the victim's name. Like a lot of times, a husband will be like, "Oh, sweetheart. Oh, darling. Oh, come back to life." life, or they'll say basically like, oh, honey, oh, that's my daughter, my daughter, or my wife, versus when it's been proven that the family member didn't kill them, that they say the person's name over and over again, almost like trying to get them to come back to life. When they have done it? When they... When they have done it, they don't use the name. When they have not done it, they do use the name. Mm, So, like, she didn't use her name. Correct. She said, I'm the mother. My daughter, she has blonde hair. My daughter. Yes. So that's just a little piece of behavioral forensic science. Interesting. To point that perhaps they had some knowledge of it or something to do with it. Well, her husband,
1: John, of course, was also a suspect. Not surprisingly, he became public enemy number one. He suspiciously found her body very quickly when asked to search the house, contaminated the crime scene by removing evidence from her body and moving her body to another location. And just like Patsy,
0: his atypical behavior regarding the death of his child has always been called into question. So this is an intro. I'm so glad I read his book and the Steve Thomas book because Steve Thomas's description based on the detectives and police officers at the scene was that when john was in the basement the people who were upstairs they hear john screaming like oh my god oh my god and that patricia white and their other friend priscilla priscilla jump were sitting on the couch with patsy who was just like weeping uncontrollably and when they heard oh god oh god oh god that priscilla and patricia jumped up and ran to see what the ruckus was and that According to Steve Thomas, Patsy just sat on the couch like, "Uh oh, they found it," because she knew it was about to happen. But according to John, he says that when he ran up the stairs, that Patsy, when he ran up the stairs, Patsy ran up the stairs to meet him and was like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" See, again. So again, it's just these conflicting reports.
1: Memories. Of-
0: <laughs> They're I mean, you can't trust somebody's memory. No, 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 no. So, and then he also talks about in his book that when Beth was killed, his first daughter was killed in the car accident, that he just totally became numb. He's like, God is dead. God has abandoned me. It's not real. What's the point of even living? And he said when he was alone, he would bawl his eyes out, which matches other statements that people said they could hear him like wailing and crying. Like upstairs, he'd go by himself. He said when he would drive to work, he would cry. Or when he was on airplanes, like on a work trip by himself, he was like, I had to hide my face because I would just think about her and cry. But that he He tried to keep it together. He kept like a a brave face on. And so people were like, John's like this weird, crazy robot wandering around the house, going out to check the mail. He said at the time he was like, I was in total shock. Yeah. And I just, he's like, all I could do was pace. I just had nervous energy. I couldn't just sit down and say, everyone handles grief differently. Also like Patsy, John had no history of violent behavior.
1: And in an interview was quoted as saying, a person doesn't go throughout their lives as a normal human being. One night, turn into a monster, slaughter their daughter, go to bed, and get up and act normal from there on. That doesn't happen. I gotta agree with him. Yeah, I
0: mean, he had no, he didn't ever hit the kids. They said all they ever, they didn't spank the kids. They said they had, they're really well behaved. Mm -hmm. And that they had a really good relationship and that she was like the apple of his eye. And he has a lot of, I'm a daddy's girl, and he has a lot of quotes about just, pushing her around the block. And you can tell this is a workaholic man mm-hmm. that has tons of regret. And he's oh, like, yeah. as I sat there, it's a dangerous
1: place to live. And
0: he's like, well, as I sat there and I saw her body on the ground, I thought of every single bike ride I told her I didn't oh, have time for. I thought fuck. about, the, he's like, I thought about the business trips I was on yeah. and the, the things I missed and the dance recitals I missed. And he's like, all I could do was just wish I had one more day. And yeah. he's like, now luckily I have grandkids who anytime they're like, grandpa, take me around the block mm-hmm. one more time. He's like, absolutely yeah. read me one more story oh, and he's like i just think of all the times i told her no yeah. and he's like i know she loved me but he's like i just there were so many moments we could have had that i just said no because mm. i was working i was like oh that's oh, oh. Oh, you beat yourself up. It's a dangerous place to live. Yeah, when, they describe. The he house. describes like all the stages of grief, and that yeah. he, he completely blames himself. Yeah, he's like, I should have locked the doors. I should have been a better dad. I shouldn't have fallen asleep so deeply. I shouldn't have
1: let her be in beauty pageants. He's like,
0: exactly. He said, I shouldn't have let Patsy invite all those people to our house because mm-hmm. they would do the Christmas tour where you pay like five bucks oh, at the and door. Thousands of people
1: would go through their house, and then
0: people could see every nook and cranny of their yeah. house. And yeah, it benefited a local charity, but he's like, at what cost? Exactly. And having the Christmas party, having church parties over there, he's like, thousands of people walked through our door and we thought we were being like welcoming and he's like look what happened
1: well as my therapist would say it could have happened you could have done all of those things right and it still could have happened true you can't beat yourself up for that so john forgive yourself yes he absolutely should so fbi profiling tells us that past behavior is the best indicator of future behavior that is true Neither Patsy nor John had any history of violent or abnormal behavior. However, the same cannot be said about Jean Benet's brother, Burke. Burke had a history of scatological problems. If you don't know what that is, nope. you kind of have an obsession with feces. Linda Hoffman Pugh... The Ramsey's former housekeeper said that he had been known to smear feces on the bathroom wall, and that one time she found fecal material the size of a grapefruit on Jean Benet's sheets. When crime scene techs searched Jean Benet's room, they found feces smeared on a box of
0: candy that she had received the day before for Christmas. Can I just say, very brief potential theory it was a visit from Mr. Hanky the Christmas (laughs) Pooh. He loves me, I love you, therefore vicariously he loves you, even if you're a Jew. And there's no indication that they were, but he'll come, He sometimes he's nutty, sometimes he's quite cool. I know all of the words to Mr. Hanky. But don't you know when, I forgot about Mr. Hanky till just now. You can not Oh, we're going to get sued by South Park. <laughs> no, it's fine. I just really like when Kyle's in the bathroom by himself and then the dad opens the door and Mr. Hanky's like- just a turd again. And he's like, Kyle, what did you do? And he's like, you don't understand. It was Mr. Hanky the whole time. Oh man, I'm going to have to watch that later. That's really funny. It's a great, it's a Christmas classic. It is, it is. Those, the songs Miracle that they sing, on 34th Street. Uh, Mr. Hanky's Christmas classics, when they sing Christmas time in hell, is probably a top five favorite Christmas song of mine. Oh, nice. On South Park. It's so good. Well, family, friend, and photographer. Judith Phillips said Burke was
1: extremely jealous of his sister and had a very bad temper. He was three years older, Jean Benet, and was the apple of his parents' eyes until she was born. Once Jean Benet started competing in pageants and following in her mother's footsteps, his relationship with his parents changed, especially with Patsy. hmm Hitting his sister in the face with blunt objects wasn't foreign to him. He hit her with a golf club. In August of 1994, Burke and Jean Monnet had been playing in their yard when Burke got mad at her and hit her in the face with a golf club. Could this
0: behavior have been a precursor for what was to come? Here's the thing. I have an older sister, and we fought like cats and dogs when we were little because she's five years older than me, Mm -hmm. and I just wanted to be exactly like her. I still, to this day, the number one coolest person in the world is my sister. She's so so freaking cool. And she just hated me for. It. Just oh, but well, now she loves you. Oh, so much. We're best friends. But at the time, it's just irritating to yeah, have like sure, a little sure. kid following you around. That's anybody's she childhood never hit oh, me. Oh,
1: I, I, never. I remember slapping one of my brothers on the back once. I never took an object and hit any no. of them and, or time, vice
0: versa. When we were older, she was probably, I was probably 12 or 13. So she would have been like 17-ish. I threw a nail polish thing at her and she threw like a tea light candle at me. That was the one time. And we've gotten like a ton of trouble. Yeah. I bet you she doesn't remember this. She's always like, I just don't remember anything. She I just, don't either. Yeah. I remember everything. But, and so does my brother Zach. <laughs> yeah. And so she, it's just funny though. Cause, but we, we fought like cats and dogs mm-hmm. and my it was so cute. Cause we would be like finally settle down to watch an episode of Saved by the Bell or the mm. Wonder Years together. And my we could hear my dad like go into my mom in the other room and be like, don't bother them. They're getting them <laughs> oh, off. that's so sweet. Leave them alone. Just and taking s- pictures. Yeah. pics. Like, Leave them alone. And then we could hear him It say takes that. a certain
1: individual to pick up a golf club and smack somebody in the face with it. That is. An, that's not normal angry child behavior.
0: No, that is excessively violent. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. In the weeks and months after his sister's death, Burke was interviewed by several child psychologists. Retired FBI profiler Jim Clemente and former Scotland Yard behavior analyst Laura Richards analyzed the taped interviews and had
0: some damning opinions. We should point out that this is in the case of John JonBenet Ramsey, the yes. docuseries that has been being, currently being sued by Burke Ramsey yes. for $750 million. Yes. So Burke isn't scared at all in these interviews. He's really not. His sister was
1: recently brutally murdered in his home, in her bed, asleep, and, and she shows no fear that it could have been him that night, or that the killer may come back. Which they said
0: is natural for kids whose very home. natural has been violated. Hell yeah, I'd be terrified. I would think every night there would come through the window. And they apartment. even the psychologist even said,
1: "Well, how how do you feel? It must have been. It must be hard." And he says, "Well, my parents cry a lot." But I'm just in my room playing video games, and I just go on with
0: my life. You know, yes. I'm fine. It makes you wonder, like, he has... And the, the biggest thing that's hard for him is that his parents are being annoying and sad. Because he wants their attention. Like, and he has this whole time. Well, and I will... To backtrack slightly, the uh, neighbor who is in- interviewed in the CBS documentary, series Judith Phillips. That's right. Or the photographer? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And she talks about that she was commissioned by the Colorado Women's Magazine or something to take photos of Patsy because she had beaten cancer and she was kind of this like socialite. And they were all ready to shoot Patsy and the kids. And... That Bert flipped shit and was like, I'm not going to be a part yeah. of this. I'm going to go upstairs. And that Patsy had to go upstairs and basically like come down and force him to be in the photos. Yes. The photos that that woman took are so pretty. Oh, though. they're very nice.
1: They're very nice. In one of the interviews, Dr. Suzanne Bernhardt asks him, so what do you think happened? To which he answers, I know what happened. He goes on to say that he asked his dad where they found the body. According Ooh. to Clementi, this is very telling. And that it's just as important to listen to what he's not saying. Logically, one would ask, what happened to her? Why is Burke not at all concerned with that, but wants to know where they found her body?
0: This is an O.J. Simpson uh, Mm -hmm. moment when they call O.J. and said, your wife's been killed. And he goes, all right, I'll be the back. Instead of saying, what happened to her? Yeah, Yeah. he knew what happened to her. He cut her head off. Bert goes on to physically demonstrate how he thinks
1: she died by raising up his fist and slamming it down, saying someone took out a knife or a hammer. He also gives the unsettling detail that whoever did this, quote, tiptoed down to the basement. Mm. That stuck out to me because it was such a small but telling detail because if he had done this, he would have tiptoed down to the basement. And True. You, Would you have described a perpetrator that you don't know as tiptoeing down to the basement? Well, I don't, it's, It sounds so strange. Well,
0: and if she was still alive when they went down to the basement, he could have been like, hey, let's sneak down to the basement together. Mm-hmm. Also, his toy train room was to the right mm-hmm. of the room where she was found. So he was well familiar with the basement mm-hmm. layout.
1: Mm-hmm. Burke has always maintained his innocence and in 2016 sat down with Dr. Phil to tell his side of the story for the first time in 20 years. So he had been basically a hermit and did not he was the only one in that house that did not come forward in 20 years to say his side of the story
0: well and they said that they spent a lot of time trying to get him to and from school without being photographed they had to switch schools and he tried to be interviewed by the police when he was in college still and it was like the week of exams and he said no i'm doing exams and that was kind of seen as oh you don't even want to talk to the cops." But then this interview the doc the doctor fail exclusive the interview is awkward and unsettling mm-hmm.
1: a creepy and inappropriate smile is plastered across Burke's face the entire time and he still doesn't seem to show what many would consider normal behavior and emotion. Over the death of his sister.
0: So after the Dr. Phil interview, James Fitzgerald, who is a retired FBI profile, who's featured in the docu series, yes. says that he has a really strange affect from the language that's used. He has really bizarre facial tics and features, and he ticks his fingers like mm-hmm. he 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 uh, ticks his fingers up and down on the couch. So he has a lot, a lot of-,
1: of nervous energy. Uh huh. It might just be he's extremely socially awkward. He's been sheltered most of his life. He has not had a normal upbringing. Dr. Phil said off camera, he was personable and what many would call normal. Yeah. That talking to him one-on-one was completely different than when he talked in front of a camera.
0: The Chandler Bing effect. When you put a camera in front of him, he's like, He can't smile.
1: Yeah. He's (laughs) awkward. Well, he um, also, Dr. Phil said, because a lot of people have speculated that Burke does have some form of autism or Asperger's. And Dr. Phil says he does not.
0: Yeah, Dr. Phil says he doesn't believe that he has anything, that all he has is a lot of anxiety and awkwardness yes. because he has been sheltered, that he's currently like a computer analyst, but he yeah. works from home, he works yeah. remotely, so he doesn't have a ton of like human interaction. And a lot of people see this smile and see that he's smiling, but
1: experts say, and I do have to agree, it's not a happy smile. It is an uncomfortable, like, I'm very awkward, I don't know how to behave type of smile. That's
0: not to say he didn't do it, but... Well, Steve... Uh, sorry, James Fitzgerald said that there's something more than meets the eye because Dr. Phil asked the right questions mm-hmm. and kind of in a few different ways. And Burke would just say, like, I guess so, or I don't know. And at the time of the crime, he was nine years and 50 weeks old. Mm-hmm. But... So he should have remembered a lot of stuff. Um, and especially uh, the FBI profiler said when it's a violent occurrence like that, you would remember. Yes. It kind of gets implanted. Also... John and Patsy had this whole Burke was asleep, Burke was asleep, Burke was asleep. In the interview with Dr. Phil, Dr. Phil's like, what do you remember about that morning? And Burke's like, oh, I remember being in bed and my mom busted open the door while it was still dark outside mm-hmm. and was like, where's Jean Bonnet? Where's Jean Benet? And he's like, did, he t- did she turn on the light? And he's like, no, I don't think so. And And then later on, he says he remembers a cop came in and was shining a flashlight in his room. And he said, well, it was dark at the time, so it must have been pretty early. It must have been the first cop that was on the scene because the sun hadn't come up yet, which then contradicts Patsy and John saying Burke was totally asleep and didn't know what was going on.
1: Also, if Burke's account is correct, he still says he never went downstairs to ask his parents what was going on. He knew Mm -hmm. something was terribly wrong. And even in this interview with Dr. Phil, he said, well, I didn't know if my dad was chasing a bad guy out of the house with a gun or something. I didn't know what I was going to walk." That's a very strange childlike response. If you've seen a cop come into your room, your mom come into your room frantic, most nine-year-olds, almost 10, would go see what the hell was going on.
0: Well, and Dr. Phil. Unless
1: they were told to stay
0: put. True. And Dr. Phil said that he he got a little bit of flack after it because he can. – Dr. Phil, if you watch his show ever, which accidentally a couple times I have, specifically (laughs) the episode where that guy claimed his kid was possessed and really turns out the kid literally was on the spectrum and this guy was like screaming like, get out, Satan. And the kid just had autism and needed help. And Dr. Phil grilled that guy and was like yelling at him. And with Burke, Dr. Phil was very kind of – Kid gloves. Kid gloves, kind – compassionate, and Dr. Phil's like, well, he was never a suspect, and so I was treating him like a victim's family member. Which is fair. Which is fair, because Steve Thomas, under oath, has actually said that Burke was never a suspect. Mm
1: -hmm. And he wouldn't have gone on the interview if he was going to be grilled. Yeah, if
0: you're getting the exclusive. He knows what he's going to be asked. He was also
1: paid. Yeah, don't bite the hand that feeds you, Dr. Phil. Well, the A&E docuseries makes a very strong case for Burke being the murderer. Dr. Spitz and his fellow experts proposed hypothesis was that sometime after John and Patsy had put Jean Bonnet to bed she woke up went downstairs and found her brother enjoying a late night snack at the dining room table of her favorite snack pineapple and milk who what who, i never in my life have i heard of that def- snack until until this you
0: pour milk on pineapple
1: i i never no i've had milk and i've had pineapple i've never have i had the two together I mean,
0: there may be weird stuff I eat that if people found out, they're like, ugh, What's the
1: weirdest thing you enjoy? I last
0: night had uh, chicken nuggets, and there was this, a dollop of ranch and a dollop of ketchup, and you kind of mix them together. Oh, that's not weird at all. That's not weird people Hell do Hell that. no. That's, I do it all the time. Oh, wow. Well, but I eat ranch, like, with everything. I, anything dipped in ranch. Oh, God. If so you find better. a bowl in my kitchen and, it, and it's got ranch in it, probably going to have my fingerprints on it.
1: my nephew... Went mm-hmm. through a phase where he would dip everything in ranch, including strawberries. So maybe pineapple milk
0: is Let's that not weird. talk shit. When I was a little girl, I would eat Mrs. Baird's white bread, Welch's grape jelly on one slice, mm-hmm. Miracle Whip on the other, May- mm-hmm. and I called it mayonnaise and jelly.
1: <laughs> well, that you
0: should. Well, that's Miracle scary. Whip's not mayonnaise. Miracle Whip's Miracle oh, Whip's that's and mayonnaise, is mayonnaise. But I,
1: I'm proud of you that it was Miracle Whip and not mayonnaise because Miracle Whip. Is way
0: better than no. Mayonnaise. It's not mayonnaise oh my is gosh, better. No mayonnaise. Hellman's guys. If the it's the podcast not, is being torn apart. If it's not Hellman's, it's trash. Throw oh, it out. That's got that get their that, new motto. It's my new motto. When I'm going to become <laughs> the official mayonnaise spokeswoman? I'll be the Miracle Whip. Ugh. And then
1: we'll. What we'll is see. it like?
0: I'm a Mac and I'm a PC. I'm Hellman's mayonnaise, and this is trash next to me here. <laughs> miracle Whip. But if you mix it with a little grape jelly, I'm mm. I'm back on board. Okay. They eat pineapples and milk. While Patsy claimed she did not make this snack for Burke, both her and Burke's fingerprints were found on the bowl. Which maybe she was putting away dishes. They did have a a nanny, or not a nanny, a housekeeper. But, I mean, it doesn't... She could have rinsed the bowl off and put it back up in there. Patsy also said that she wouldn't
1: have served it to Burke the way it was found because the spoon used was entirely too big for the bowl and it wouldn't have made sense to her, which is true. It was just... a giant serving spoon yes.
0: in a small cereal bowl. I like see. something a child would get to eat. Like they don't know any better. Yes. I do love that in the interview, though. She's just like, I just don't That's see. a very socialite answer. Yeah, I just don't It see. doesn't make sense to me. The I wouldn't have done it. The spoon was inappropriate.
1: <laughs> Burke's fingerprints are also found on an empty glass with a tea bag in it sitting next to the bowl. Because what appeared to be undigested pineapple was found in JonBenet's stomach, it would stand to reason that this was the last thing she ate shortly before she died. Okay, this is where I begin to disagree with this theory, but go ahead. Okay. Spitz believes that Jean Monnet grabbed a piece of pineapple from Burke's bowl and that an angry Burke picked up the large flashlight that was sitting on the counter next to him and hit her on the head. Okay, I don't know. Maybe uh, uh, I could see it happening for
0: sure. That's true.
1: Especially if he—I mean, it's just a knee-jerk reaction.
0: He whacked her in the face with a golf club before.
1: He's sitting within arms' reach, just grabbing this. It's like a mag light, a huge Mm -hmm. black flashlight, and just bonks her on the head. He goes on to speculate that the circular marks found on her body were actually from a piece of Burke's train set, which was seen in several places in the crime scene video. A side-by-side picture comparison shows that the end of the track lines up perfectly with the marks on her
0: body. So does he, do we think he, not we, we don't think any of this. Werner Spitz, who's being sued, thinks this. (laughs) Werner Spitz believes that he whacked her in the head in the kitchen, Mm -hmm. drug her to the basement. I think he...
1: He doesn't go... He doesn't say that. Well, this he, is a he, logistical fallacy. He, what... I mean, this docuseries, as we've said, has an angle, and their evidence points to that. My biggest issue with this docuseries is that they never discuss the fingernail marks on, her on, on on the neck, which I think blows this theory that she was dead from the blow to the head out of the water.
0: Yeah, and I think that if you and I discuss this, that when you present only a cherry-picked amount of evidence... That it does weaken your argument. And I will say, the docuseries, well-produced. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. However... I did feel like I was taken a little bit because they started out and they're like, we're going to totally analyze this mm-hmm. from a totally new angle. And then about mm, a third of the way through, you're like, Oh, they're trying to pin it on the kid. Oh, like, very, very quickly. You realize Burke is their guy. And then, and then all they do is piece together evidence that supports this yes. theory and fail to mention the other, especially like the nail marks. And as you was said, trying to get the garage, off, it,
1: it, it, it would Henry, be better if you address the evidence that conf- is conflicting with your theory and had an answer for it, or maybe even said, even if you don't. I don't have an answer for this, but at least you acknowledge it so it doesn't seem like you're ignoring it. Like you're
0: trying to hide it. I yeah. will say Dr. Henry Lee, though, throughout the docuseries is very uh, scientific and saying like, well, I just don't, we just don't know. And he was involved when this happened. Correct. So he's the, been around the, the whole time. Uh, and
1: yes, on the Ramsey side. Yeah. So the theory is Burt grabbed part of his train track and used it to poke JonBenet's body to see if she was still alive. I just don't alive. see
0: how it would make that big of an indent if it was just a poking.
1: It depends on how, I guess, hard he was doing it. Mm-hmm. Regardless of how damning the evidence may be, Burt claims he did not murder his sister. And in 2016 filed a lawsuit against CBS for $750 million and Dr. Warner Spitz for $150 million, claiming defamation of character because of the views presented in the series. On November 30th, 2016, Dr. Spitz filed a motion for summary judgment, arguing that he was expressing his point of view, which is allowed under the Fifth Amendment. And I believe this there has not been a conclusion to these. Correct.
0: They're both still pending. And the case uh, survived a motion for summary judgment, uh, the CBS case, in January of 2018, CBS had filed a motion for summary judgment saying that they're basically what they're saying is opinion. But the judge, and John Ramsey quotes this in his book, that the judge said, they, based on the preponderance of the evidence, it's unlikely that the Ramseys did it. And now, therefore, you know, truth's an absolute defense to these kind of torts. And in this case, because it's not the truth, they haven't been convicted or whatever. You can't oh, okay. go out saying Burke Ramsey killed his sister because he, there's not a, Trial that could support that, so they they probably he will not Burke will not win this case
1: is what you are saying. Well,
0: I mean he no 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 I am saying it survived the motion for summary judgment. CBS tried to get it thrown out oh, at the I early see. stage, okay. and the judge said based on a preponderance of the evidence they didn't do this. Burke didn't do this. Therefore, you did defame him gotcha. by presenting a false statement as fact, which is let's just say the docu series. Quote-unquote, it's their opinion. However, what they're saying (laughs) is, please look at all of this evidence. We are currently here proving that this guy did it. millions and millions of people. Yes. I
1: mean, I I do not think he is wrong for suing them. If he did it or not, he still should sue them. Yeah, no, no, no. Well, in April of 2003, Judge Julie Carnes in Atlanta dismissed a federal civil suit against Patsy and John after concluding evidence supported an intruder theory. In July 2008, Boulder County DA, Mary Lacey, issued a formal statement saying that no one in the Ramsey family is considered a suspect and even went so far as to send them a formal letter of apology. While these courts may say the Ramseys are innocent, the court of public opinion still isn't convinced. It's true.
0: Um, you've presented a lot of good theories. I respect them. Is it Mr. Hankey? <laughs> <It's> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Hankey. No. So what do we think? I'll tell you. Okay. Jean Benet was not killed. Oh, God. Here we go. <laughs> she is alive. She was kidnapped by the Illuminati. Mm-hmm. She is grown up. She is now famous and performing for a wider audience under the pseudonym Katy Perry. Oh, gosh.
1: Here it is. She was married to Russell Brand for a minute. She was. There's
0: a did lot. A, did a couple of. For instance, in Katy Perry's Documentaries. Noir, she said she started writing songs at an early age. And she said, not that I was one of those stage kids. There was no Binet Ramsey inside of me waiting to burst out. No. Illuminati frequently put signs and sing- signals in plain sight. So why else would she mention that if it weren't
1: true? Well, it's got to be then.
0: Well, I have a different theory.
1: Actually, I don't know if I even have a conclusive theory. I'm still trying to wrap my head around some things. I came into this thinking it was Burke, as I told you. Based on watching the docu Based on the docu-series. The more research I did, I started to think, okay, I don't think it's Burke. And here, well, uh, let me back up. I always, in my head, was thinking, Burke killed her by hitting her over the head, but the staging of the body came from her parents, and I could never justify How her parents could have made that garage and strangled her and gone to those lengths of the staging. Maybe the binding of the wrists and the duct tape. But anything that inflicted more trauma to her body, I couldn't wrap my head around. Especially after knowing she was alive when she was being strangled. Because... If she was alive, they would have just called
0: 911 and tried to save her life. Yeah. And they and then at that time, you could say, he accidentally hit her. She fell on the stairs. A thing fell on her head. I mean, it wouldn't necessarily. But you would have saved her life. Yeah. So She could have lived, which is all they wanted. Yes. In my head, that's why I couldn't
1: justify it. Then I started thinking about it differently and thinking, well, what if Burke did all of it? He hit her over the head and then he also strangled her. Because of his jealousy, his anger issues,
0: he seems like he's, there's something not right. Here's where I think that theory falls apart. Could you please explain how a nine-year-old kid could tie that? That's the one part that trips that me the up. Gar- the the knot on the garage. Here's the thing. I was a marine professional for what three is years. That? <laughs> I, I like worked on boats. I, when I lived as a ch- kid, no. When I lived in Chicago, oh, oh yeah. I was okay. a twenty-something-year-old college graduate, and I, it took me forever to figure out how to tie knots. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they teach it to you in Boy Scouts or whatever. But the knot that was—it was, it's it a was fairly, intricate. It's a fairly common marine knot, but it's an intricate marine knot. Yeah, freaking nine-year-old kid 9 year And, that's and shoes. again, that's- and Burke seems like the kind of kid that was wearing Velcro shoes. You know <laughs> what I mean? When he was ten. <laughs> Just from being a weird kid. you don't want yeah. him around laces. You yeah. Know. So that haircut. Oh, Lordy. Somebody save the boy.
1: <laughs> so that again, there's, I'll get to a point with all of these scenarios where I hit a roadblock that I can't wrap my head around and justify. And that is that one. The, the knot.
0: Why don't you think an intruder did it?
1: I've always thought, well, one in the docu-series, and everything has presented that they came through the basement window. The
0: fucking spider web, dude.
1: And the spider web in the docuseries, they, they recreate... It's pretty sweet because they can't get access to the Ramsey's house. And plus, it's been completely remodeled at this point. But they recreate the Ramsey's home and the window that supposedly the intruder would have come through to get into the basement. And it's... While an adult can fit through it, the crime scene photos show intact cobwebs and debris along the sides that you would have wiped out if you had been trying to, mm-hmm. cause it was not big enough to avoid those. The compelling evidence that ties Patsy to that ransom note has always made me think that she, I never thought she did it. I never thought she killed her, but I did think it was possible that she wrote the note to cover it up
0: I for just, whatever reason. I can't imagine a mom who is so obsessed with her daughter She was so, like, they were best friends. Oh, yeah.
1: And she spent,
0: she put a lot of money into her. She was an investment with these beauty pageants. But aside from that, and she always said if JonBenet doesn't want to do it, she doesn't have to do it. But she said that they were, they dressed alike. They went everywhere together. They were, like, best, best friends. I just can't imagine that if something happened to her, that she wasn't like, I'll do anything to find the person that did this. I don't think, this sounds mean, but especially watching how they treated the other kid that if the other kid did something that they would go to that length to cover it up unless it's just rich family not wanting disgrace i do think that they could have gone to those links to protect burke really i do they do say that Patsy said if anything ever happened to him i'll die like that's he's like the like my life and everything um, john had lost one daughter already now he's lost his second well and they they're said, not about to lose a third kid well and Patsy was super close to john's kids from his first
1: marriage but too. what's crazy And they wouldn't – so on that docuseries, a Colorado lawyer says the age of 10 is the minimum age to be tried for something in the state of Colorado. So he was 9 and 50 – I mean, he was almost 10, but he was not 10. At the time. So, Yeah, at the time of her death. So he couldn't have been – convicted or tried for anything in the first place. I mean, it
0: still would have ruined his life. Cause then sure, you know, they, sure, they sure. And it, would have, it would have ruined their life too, but he wouldn't I have mean, gone to jail it's already ruined their life. Yeah. Though. Regardless. I mean, it ruined John their talks life. about, he spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in lawyers and, and private investigators. And he's like, I never imagined I would be a penniless guy living on yeah. a boat. Yeah.
1: Well, then I started thinking my dear husband, Tommy came up with an interesting theory. What if it was an intruder? but Patsy did write the ransom note because they thought Burke had killed her. Ooh, because of his history of hitting her in the face. I think it's, we're all, we're all comfortable saying he's weird as fuck and they know he's weird. And, and the scatological stuff and just the behavior he exhibited, there might've been even more mental health stuff going on there that we didn't know about. If they found her body or maybe even knew he had done it and they wanted to protect him. Then that's the only other thing I could think of why they would have written this note. But now, your your reasoning of how he could have come in, how the, Glenn Meyer, the neighbor, could have come in the night of the Christmas party, taken that pad and pen. And written it out. But his DNA wasn't found on it. On the pad and pen? Yeah. And Patsy's was. Patsy's well, it the was her. Only I mean, and it was her patent. Him. Sure, but if he had wiped the those things down,
0: and then she touched it after him, I don't know. Moved it. It was in the house. Was her? Oh, I guess he could. I guess that could have been because he
1: could have used gloves to write the note, mm-hmm. and then she would. She could have, but he would have put that pad and pen back. When he killed her, not before. Correct. So she wouldn't have had time to touch it until it was taken by police and evidence. But she touched it
0: before, and then, I don't know, he wears gloves. Okay, maybe, yeah. I just am not sold. I'm
1: uh, not sold on any theory, to be honest. Episode
0: one, I was very sold on, like, it has to be some sort of family relation, family connection. However, I will say, just... They, they can test handwriting and find out if you wrote it. And they tested Patsy and over and over. I think she did something like five full copies of the note, like fully wrote it out. And then they took other samples of her writing for other stuff. And all they said was inconclusive. But they said it was very likely.
1: 26 markers. Well, this other guy said. She made 24 of them. And they, yeah, again. They we, said Glenn Meyer's handwriting was, quote, a perfect match. And again, you have. Dueling experts. You have experts from each camp saying this. I did. Uh, in one of the police, I think it was Steve Thomas. Is that his name? Yeah. That's said that said that if you had had any other person that they had pinned that ransom note on with that much evidence that it was most likely them. And it wasn't Patsy. That person would have been arrested because it was Patsy and they were rich and didn't want to arrest the family. Then they kind of just like let a lot of stuff slide that if anyone else had been a
0: suspect and they could have tied those things together, it would have been a different story. Well, I just don't see why the neighbor's handwriting wasn't tested at the time. It was. So they're saying it's exactly a match. No, a recent expert has said it's
1: a perfect match at the time. He was a suspect and his handwriting did match
0: but they cleared him because of the DNA, and he passed a lie detector test. And John Ramsey also mentions in his book that nine months after, in September of 1997, a conflicting reports whether she was eight or fourteen year old girl in Boulder. That's
1: very different ages. I know,
0: and it's like it's different articles I found from the time, or, and they're basically like archive versions. But a young girl. Was in her bed and a guy slipped in through a window wearing all black and was like totally covered head to toe, gloves, mask, no nothing exposed. And he attacked her in her bed and was trying to kind of molest her in her bed. And she made a ruckus and her mom came upstairs and the guy freaked out and jumped out uh, a window and ran off. And that was also in Boulder at the time. And John Ramsey is convinced that it's that same guy.
1: Mm-hmm. The same guy, not Glenn Meyer necessarily, which yeah. is the same guy that did it to them. yeah. I know that Glenn Meyer moved to Indiana after the murder. I don't know how soon he moved, mm-hmm. if he would have still been in Boulder at the time of that crime,
0: but it's possible. Or maybe it was someone else that... Look at the Golden State Killer. He was doing stuff up and down the coast, and they never connected them because yep. he escalated on one. So this may have been a serial child predator who hadn't never killed anyone, and that's what at the time the cop said. Oh well, it couldn't have been the same guy because he didn't kill that girl. Well, yeah, he got interrupted, dummies, and so it could have been a serial child predator who escalated with Jean Binet at the time. And if then it was just that, away. I would buy that. But this ransom note throws a total curveball in the
1: whole situation. Someone else
0: also th- uh, a. I can't think of his name. I feel bad. But one of the private investigators that follows this case and always throws his two cents in thinks that there is coded language in the ransom note that it's not just because, like they said, in the series, usually ransom notes are like four lines long. Mm-hmm. John Ramsey thinks that it was a young person, like in their early 20s, late teens, who was trying to sound like a, a kidnapper from a movie. The guy, the private detective guy thinks that it is... Uh, Michael Helgoth? No, that's not his name. I can't think of it. He's a real weirdo. He's got a really weird Facebook page. Anyway, I'll put it in the show notes. Sorry. But I was. it was one of those like rabbit hole internet, not a credible source I was reading. But he thinks that it's uh, all written like in code and that certain words have been emphasized with the pen. And those are the words that were like written backwards. And that's like some kind of code like the Zodiac Killer. But it seems like conjecture. I mean, you know, you can... Theorize a lot of things, but there's evidence only points to certain things. Well, Michael Helgoth was another suspect
1: that a lot of people looked at at the time. He committed suicide shortly after the murder, but he was exonerated in his death due to the DNA evidence. So he worked in a nearby auto salvage yard that his parents own. He had an alleged property dispute involving the Ramseys, which might have been some kind of motive. And officials allegedly found a boot print similar to his near the home. There was also that boot print that was found near the body in the basement that no one's been able to identify.
0: That was not, it did not belong to John Orberg or Patsy. So police announced at a press conference
1: in 1997 that they were zeroing in on a new suspect. And two days later, this guy killed himself. Ooh. A lot of people think he was murdered because they think that it was him and another guy. Oh, there was two
0: perpetrators. And one of
1: his co-workers claims that Michael confessed to him that he was going to be coming into a lot of money soon. Him and another friend were going to be coming into about $50,000 each. And that when they were walking to his house and they were, he was telling him this, he said, I wonder what it would feel like to crack a human skull.
0: Oh, God.
1: So there's that theory too. But again, he's... He's dead, like most of the people that it could be. So they'd have to do some sort of exhuming the body to
0: test Mm-hmm. My goodness. So if it wasn't Katy Perry, what's your theory? It's definitely Katy Perry. No, the Illuminati definitely were a part of this. No, I really do think it was an intruder. I just call me a sucker, but when I watch, I I don't think anyone should be uh, convicted of murder or accused of murder just for being weird. No, I agree. I will completely concede that Burke is awkward and weird and anxious. Uh, The FBI profiler seems to think he's doing the uh, behavioral symptoms, or the behavioral signals that he's doing indicate that he's trying to protect himself. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's trying to protect himself because he's a criminal. I think he's trying to protect himself because he's feels attacked he's by everyone. very socially everyone. Well, he's awkward, but he just feels attacked by everyone all the time. Mm-hmm. And he does talk about, like, oh, I think about her and I think about her in heaven and talk to her. And then just John Ramsey in general, I don't think is ab- absolutely not capable of that. He's a super loving father. His other kids were like, dad never did anything. To- like, why out of... All the kids would, like, randomly go berserk. And the same with Patsy. She also had survived ovarian cancer, and the kids were a big part of, like, getting her through that. And they were a super religious family and not, like, a zealot kind of way, but just in a really faithful kind mm-hmm. of way. And I just I just can't imagine any of them being that violent. I don't think Burke has the capacity as a 10-year-old, the strength to, first of all, tie the garage, second of all, to do that, like... And even if there was some sort of accidental head hitting, but it does point to, I think if you go based on the crime scene and how she was placed, it was some sort of an outside person. Mm-hmm. And someone's like, who could navigate the labyrinth of the basement? It was like four rooms in a tiny closet. Yeah, like, it's exactly. not like it was some sort of crazy maze. And if the
1: if Meyer had been there if some, even if it was before wasn't, and been able to kind of get a lay of the land.
0: And even if it wasn't Meyer, they opened their house to thousands of people all the time. Yeah. And John said that because they had
1: kids coming and going all the time, it wouldn't be uncommon for him to come downstairs in the morning and find a window open or
0: a door open. Yeah, because the kids would just go and play yeah. and open stuff. And up. they lived
1: in a very affluent neighborhood where people didn't lock their doors as much. That's as what they he said. He said
0: we didn't worry about setting the alarm because we. Figured, I mean, there's no crime going on. I'm set the alarm half the time when I'm at home. Oh, I went through and checked every single window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just because yeah. I'm a weird person. Exactly. But I do,
1: because the intruder thing has always bothered me because of that coming into the basement window. But again, you mentioning, or or John, that the person came into the house while they weren't there. Through a different window. Or or the front door maybe, or if it was unlocked, then that makes more sense to me. If they were already in the home. When they came home and he just waited until they were yeah, the, asleep.
0: John Ramsey thinks he came in, was like totally wearing gloves, covered head to toe. So he didn't have any like, you know, he wasn't losing any hairs or whatever. And then took the pen and the paper, had time to write a practice one, had time to write Oh, another.
1: I guess if he'd been in the house. He, ha- he was there, in the house. Yeah. yeah they that's left another at 7, good theory. Yeah. They
0: left at 730 and didn't get home till 1130. He had plenty of time to write 20 minutes worth of notes. So, and. That
1: goes back to it even more could have been Glenn Meyer. Mm-hmm. He didn't necessarily have to take the pen and paper with him. He was just there, and he knew they weren't coming back for a while. Because they were going to the Christmas party, because they dropped the dog off and said, we're going to the Christmas party wow, tonight. This is starting to shape up more and more like that guy could have been it. And his ex-wife is adamant that she said when he she went to the hospital when he was dying, she just stood over his dying body thinking,
0: you son of a bitch, you deserve to die. Damn. Because she's always... Thought that he did it. Wow. So. And if he was covered in head to toe, then yeah, maybe he didn't. I say exhume the body. Glenn Myers And retest the evidence. Retest all the evidence. This little
1: girl deserves justice. It's been far too long. It's been 22 years. Let's get some answers. For her and for the remaining family. My God. Well, this has been a doozy. A two-hour (laughs) extravaganza. And we appreciate you. Sticking with us and this will come out on Christmas. So Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy Hanukkah, happy Kwanzaa, happy Festivus, whatever you're doing.
0: We salute you. You know what? Celebrate with those closest to you. Yes,
1: yes. Whoever that may be. Well, the best thing you can do to help us grow is like review and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please tell a friend who you think you would that would like us to check us out. It means so much to us when you guys tag us on social media or tag a friend saying, hey, we think you'd really love these girls. It means so much to us and it really helps small podcasts like us get more exposure.
0: You can follow us on Instagram to do those tags and on Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod. And you can like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Christy, where can they find you? I am on Twitter at Christy or GTFO and on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace. Heather, what about you? Instagram at Heather VS the world and Twitter at MCK VS the world. We have a couple of shout outs to do. I want to shout out Elise in Philadelphia for sending me, First of all, letting me know that high school forensic science class exists made me so sad that I didn't get to take know, it. that sounded awesome. And also uh, that piece of uh, I, the idea on the using the names or not in the 911 call. Shout out to Caroline in New York City under, uh, at Car- sweatcaroline underscore on Instagram. She is a uh, super funny comedian and a very cool person to follow if you like dance videos or workout videos, but she forced her entire family to listen to multiple episodes on a road trip. So. Nice. Uh, she said they actually enjoyed it, though, so that's good. Also, Brandis Wilgus, thank you so much for sending us all the
1: wonderful Jack Black Chapstick. I literally just applied some while Heather was talking. Also, I've had the crustiest lips, so thank you so much. I just applied black tea and blackberry, and not only does it taste delicious, but it makes my lips feel really smooth. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And just shout out to everybody. Thanks for listening. It's the holidays. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep
0: it greedy.